0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single weekend, jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And ladies and gentlemen, we are back at college. My winter break has come to an end. And how fitting on this 55th episode. Uh, We are now back getting um, stuff done. I had a busy day, I'll talk about it in a bit on the podcast, but um, we got a fun episode here today and I'm very much excited about it, excited to get back down here, uh, work on a bunch of things, try to get productivity at an all-time high, and I have six classes to manage along with this podcast, but this podcast is always a break from any hectic stuff that is going on in my life, so... Let's uh just talk about what we're going to talk about, huh? How about that? We're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. So, of course, we'll be recapping week 18 of the NFL season, going over all the games and talking about the playoff matchups. And, of course, on uh, the next episode, we will be dropping our full predictions. For um every playoff matchup for the wild card, at least that is um of course talking about new UFC news will be kicking off with that. Uh, going over the new Pro Bowl rosters for the twenty twenty four NFL season. Checking in with the NBA and NHL. Um, actually, our surprise topic is I will be uh ranking ranking the top ten movies I saw in twenty twenty three that came out in twenty twenty three. By the way, I did not see that many of the actual like good ones, such as um. Uh, I didn't see Indiana Jones. I didn't see the new Mission Impossible. I didn't see... uh, There's another big one I didn't see, but I saw a couple. We ranked them all on a list. And, of course, our UFC for the episode will be uh, my 2024 predictions for uh, who will end the year's champion, what fall-offs we will see, and what breakouts we will see in every single division. And, of course, episode 56 dropping Thursday. We'll be giving our UFC Vegas 84 predictions for the whole main card, headlined by Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, to top 10, even a top 3, Uh, light heavyweights in the UFC as well. On um our uh, Thursday episode, episode fifty six, which I am pumped about, I'm absolutely pumped for this. We will be doing our end of the year fantasy football review. I have no idea how long it's going to take. We're going to look through at the top ten spots for all positions: QBs, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, kickers, defense. See who ended the year, uh, where they did, if it was surprising at all, and looking back at my drafts as well as kind of recapping where I ended in uh, all of my leagues because I won one of my four leagues. I took Second in one, I took seven out of 12 in one, and I took fifth out of six in another. So, some highs and some lows, but let's get this podcast to roll in. And actually, fun fact in one of my classes, I actually met this guy who um, has his own podcast. I think it's called Oh, man, like in my prime. I think it's called in my prime or something. The like kid's name was Ty. And it was actually like he shared it in class. I was like, oh, my gosh, cool. So I went over and like I uh, we followed each other. I gave him five stars. I think he gave me five stars on Spotify. And I'm like, you know what? I respect anyone going out there and starting their own podcast because it's not as easy as people make it out to see. But um, you know what? I always have fun doing it. So without ado, let's get into our new UFC news that has dropped in the last 24 hours. The last three or four days, I mean, there have been some big, and I mean big, announcements. Um, For starters, we'll start with the biggest one, Um, uh, just announced yesterday by Dana White, For UFC 299, Dustin Poirier versus Benoit Saint-Denis in a five-round co-main event bout. Absolutely insane. Dustin Poirier ranked number three at lightweight. Benoit Saint-Denis ranked number 12. Insane opportunity for Benoit Saint-Denis. And very surprising that Dustin Poirier took this. They must be paying him handsomely. I mean, if anyone is familiar with Dustin Poirier, they know for a fact that he was not accepting any up-and-comers. I mean, he basically mentioned, I won't find Armin Saruki, and I won't fight Matus Gamron, I won't fight Nafel Faziv, I won't fight Jalen Turner. But here he is fighting Benoit Saint denis he was very deserving. Uh, five, five and one in the UFC. By the way, that one loss. Um short on short notice against Alizio Zaleski dos Santos. Up fifteen pounds at welterweight, I mean, just did not belong in that fight. Since then, has come down to lightweight, been an absolute wrecking machine. Just destroyed Tiago Moisés and oh actually he also just destroyed um oh what's his freaking name? The ginger. Just got booted from the rankings, knocked out Drew Dober, Oh my! Matt Frivola, he had a KO of the year nominee against Matt Frivola, Benoit Saint-Denis is legit, and Dustin Poirier hasn't fought in, um, too much as of late since uh, 2020, I mean, he's had an interesting run, of course, losing to, um, uh, what's his face, Um Charles Charles Oliveira has been one of the big setbacks he had because that was supposed to be his shot at reclaiming the belt. Uh, big wins over Dan Hooker in that space of time as well as two wins over McGregor. But um, after beating Michael Chandler in a pretty intense bout, he did get knocked out by Justin Gaethje last year. So that was a pretty brutal. But uh, Justin Poirier is back, and he'll be in the co-main event of Miami. The other massive, massive fight announced, the fourth fight announced for UFC 300 going down in April. The number one contender, Charles Oliveira, versus the number four contender, Armin Sarukian. At UFC 300, the winner guaranteed to fight Islam Makachev this summer, according to Dana White. But we can all assume that's what's going to happen. Absolutely insane. Pumped about that matchup. Charles Oliveira coming off a huge win in 2023 over Benil Dariush. And guess what? That's the same person Armin Sarukian beat in 2023, and he actually beat him in quicker and better-looking fashion. So that should be a super, super intense bout. Super excited for both of those. Early predictions. I'm going Benoit Saint-Denis. And, oh, man, I, I really hate to say it, but I don't know if Charles can beat Armin Saruki. And Armin is so talented. He's so freaking good. But at the same time, I always pick uh, Charles Oliveira. And when I pick against him, I regret it. So, I mean, awesome decisions to make about um, as to who I will be riding with coming up in the next few months in some lesser news of course we always have lesser fights that are announced but um uh, Raul Rosas Jr the youngest fighter on the UFC roster will be returning at UFC Mexico City February 24th to take on Ricky Tercios. Ricky Tercios, of course won season 29 I believe it was of uh, the ultimate fighter he was on team Volkanovski I think it was he's a very odd man he's had some has a very odd fighting style but um, I do think he has a UFC win over Kevin Natividad and Brady Heistand, Uh and Steve Garcia. Actually, I don't know which one he beat in the UFC, but Raul Rosos Jr., of course, had a very interesting 2023, uh, of course, debuts, wins against Jay Perrin. Then this summer, uh, gets pushed too high, loses to some random kid, I can't remember his name, and then ends up getting a huge win over Terrence Mitchell to round out the year. So, Raul Rosos Jr., excited to see him return. Big one in the unranked lightweight pool as Joel Alvarez will be taking on Ludwig Klein March 2nd in Saudi Arabia. They're still, I don't know who's going to main event this, but this case will be a main card belt. Whole Joel Juarez, whatever, 20-3, uh, and 5-2 and two in the UFC. Biggest win uh, coming in his last bout against Mark Diakise. Submitted him in round number two. Very impressive. And as for Ludwig Klein, 20-4, and, four, four, and one in the UFC. Actually hails from Slovakia. Big wins over Ignacio, Bahamides, Mason Jones, and Shane Young. That's going to be a fun one when it comes around. Uh, also announced um, two days ago for UFC Atlantic City, March 30th in New Jersey, the All-American Chris Weidman, former middleweight champion, is back. He'll be returning to take on Bruno Bladado Silva. Wow, there's a lot of Bruno Silva, so we got to throw out the, um, what is it their nicknames and that. Bruno Silva love the guy. He's super entertaining uh, to watch fight. never really in a boring fight. Chris Weidman, man, they just give Chris tough guys. I know that he's a veteran, but they should kind of give him the, uh, what's his name? What's Clay Guida treatment, the Matt Brown treatment, and not have him be fighting killers because usually it doesn't go too well. But uh, hey, you know what? Respect to Chris for getting back in the octagon, but I think he gets knocked out and won by Bruno Silva in this one. Two more fights to mention for you. Announced for UFC Vegas 88 uh, at the UFC Apex March 23rd. Featherweight bout between Ricardo Ramos and Julian Arosa. Very surprised Julian Arosa is coming back for this one. He's on a little losing streak six and seven in the ufc and now this is a guy who has wins over hakeem dawido charles Jordan, nate Landwehr, but it's just been brutally k-o'd his last two fights his chin just appears to not be there He's taken a guy ricardo ramos two performance of the nights um on his ufc record both for spinning back elbows so i can see what the UFC setting up here that should be uh Fun one, and recently announced last night, um, Davy Grant versus Cody Gibson. Davy Grant, legendary unranked bantamweight, has fought some of the toughest guys never in a boring fight. And Cody Gibson... Um, your winner of the past season for what was it? Bantamweight for the Ultimate Fighter lost. Oh, no, he lost actually in the championship to uh, what's his face? Um, Brad Katona, didn't he? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I mean, he was the runner up, but nonetheless, Cody Gibson belongs in the UFC. I mean, actually holds a win over John Dodson, for goodness sake, and David Grant. I mean, who hasn't David Grant fought? He actually has beaten Marlon Vera, Rafael Sunso, and Jonathan Martinez. Absolutely love this guy. So we got huge fights coming at us. We got huge fights coming at us, but I mean let me just touch on UFC two ninety nine for a second because this card is so loaded that I don't know what fights they're gonna put on the on UFC three hundred because obviously we know four so far. But I mean UFC two ninety nine, let me read you the current card And basically, the assumption on what the main card will be. So first off, main event, Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera, for the Men's Bantamweight Championship, going to be a banger. And um, what's his face? I saw someone on ESPN, I think it was Brett Okamoto, said that this was his early pick for Fight of the Year, and I could definitely see that, all right? Because Marlon Vera's chin has never cracked so far. He's the only man to have beaten Sean O'Malley so far. But Sean O'Malley has been on a run where his hands are just looking like they're filled with brass knuckles. I mean, he's been putting guys out. I'm excited to see that one. Of course, announced for the co-main, Dustin Poirier. Benoit Saint-Denis, five rounds confirmed for the co-main. What I'm assuming will be the third fight on the main card will be Kevin Holland versus the debuting Michael Venom Page, of course. Very excited we get that fight. Um, I think it was supposed to go down at 297 or 298, but they pushed it back. I'm happy to see it nonetheless. It'll be interesting to see how MVP does. I mean, he's 21-2. But uh, he's never found anyone really UFC caliber. And Kevin Holland has been on a ridiculous run, only loss in the last few years, or not the last few years, the last few fights, has been to Jack Della Malena, who he took to a split decision. So that should say a lot. What else you can probably see on the main card will be Jack Della Malena actually, as he takes on Gilbert Burns, number four and number 11 in the men's welterweight division. So I'm very excited that we get to see that fight, too. Gilbert Burns will be returning after an awkward fight against Bola Muhammad. And Jack Della Malena after previously finishing his first three UFC opponents in round number one, has since ran into some trouble on short notice against Basile Hafez, took him to a fight of the night split decision. and Of course, against Kevin Holland, had a boring boxing bout where it was pretty much up in the air about who won it so we'll be exciting to see that one Uh, what i'm assuming could be the opener because there's three more big fights, and any they're all pay-per-view main adventures. The last six guys I'm going to list have all been in main events, their last fight out. Um, We have Pyotr Yan and Song Ye Dong. I'm feeling like this is going to be on the prelims, just because it's bantamweight. I just don't get the vibe it's going to be on the prelims. But uh, Pyotr Yan still currently ranked number five in the men's bantamweight division. Song Ye Dong ranks seven. They're supposed to fight on Mar- December 9th, I think it was. They're supposed to fight on UFC Shanghai. Of course, that card fell apart. It was held at the apex. Song Yang Dong instead fought Chris Gutierrez, but I'm happy to see Piotr Young coming back. What I'm assuming is going to be on the main card, though: Halton Almeida and Curtis Blades, two top ten heavyweights. Curtis ranked number five, Halton number seven. I mean, you, I just don't see that fight being on the prelims. I see it opening the main card probably. But you can't have a guy in Halton who had two main events in 2023 when both of them and a guy in Curtis Blades who's also had two main events his last time out. So I just it doesn't make sense for that to be on the prelims. And what is going to be on the prelims, there's no way this is on the main card, which is just ridiculous to say, is Matus Gamrot versus Rafael Dos Anjos, the number six and number 11 welterweights, uh, welterweights, lightweights in the world. Um, Matus Gamrot is coming off of two huge uh, split decision wins. Be it those are, oh no, yeah, actually, no, because he beat, no, he, uh, oh, he has split decision against Jalen Turner. I was thinking of Jalen Turner, who had two split decisions, but Mm -hmm. Matus Gamrot. Coming off a big uh, split decision win over Jalen Turner in March, and that awkward TKO injury win over Rafael Fazeev. So that's probably why he might be in the prelims. But as for Rafael Dos Anjos, hasn't fought at lightweight since 2020. I don't know, uh, 2021 actually, but I don't know how he... Actually, it was 2022 against Nao Kano. How about that? But he's fought at wealth weight his last few times out, so I'm glad to see he's finally coming back down to the weight class he's ranked in. Um, but 299 is looking absolutely ridiculous. And out of the 11 fights booked for it currently four fighters are unranked, all right, but that's, that's insane, that is, that's just insane statistic, and of the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, of the 14 fighters I just listed, only Michael Venom Page is unranked, and that's because he's coming from a different promotion, so, riveting matchups announced galore, very exciting to see what will come of all these matchups moving on into the realm of NBA and NHL I mean we have not talked about them in a couple episodes now looking at the NBA and NHL records for the regular season but that's just because I, I like to Um, I really like to give it a bit of time instead of checking it every single week seeing what's going on um, I say we do it just on every Monday episode give it a week in between or maybe every Thursday episode we'll see but um, check Check it in with the NBA, alrighty. The Celtics, still the best team in the NBA with a 28-7 record. Absolutely ridiculous. I cannot believe how good this team has been this season. I mean, they have all the tools. Jason Tatum, Derek White, Chris Depps, Porzingis, uh, Al Horford. I mean, this team is absolutely loaded top to bottom. Uh, Two-game win streak for them, 8-2 in their last 10, and a ridiculous 17-0 at home. All right, if you're a home fan, you're yet if you have season tickets, you're yet to see them lose. That's insane. Bucks in second, twenty five and eleven. They've just been kinda of averages here, but you kiss, you cannot deny yet Giannis Ante and Damian Lillard are just a absolute star-studded pair, a star-studded pair between those two. And uh, clearly, clearly the Bucks won that trade as the Trailblazers are not really in uh, contention. We'll talk about the Western Conference in a second here. 76ers in third. James Harden trade working out well for them. Just Joel Embiid. Such a stud. 23 and 12. They're on a little two game losing streak. Magic, 21 and 15. So are the Cavs. So are the Knicks. Wow, they're both 20. All three of those teams, 21 and 15, are the five, six, and seven in the Eastern Conference. Knicks on a little four game win streak. Pistons, despite snapping their 28 game losing streak, are still the worst team in the NBA. Three and 33 on a four game losing streak. I believe the record. For worst season ever is either seven or nine wins. It's either seven or nine wins, and they're on pace to get that one in 19 on the road. They've only won once. That is atrocious. Wizards, six and 29, also bad. Hornets, eight and 25, also bad. Bulls, 16 and 21. I've been hearing some news that they might trade Zach Levine at the deadline. That'd be a pretty interesting trade, if you ask me. I don't know what's going to come of that. Jumping to the Western Conference, Timberwolves still the number one team with a 25 and 10 record, but they are five and five. Their last 10 are coming off of a loss to, I believe it was the Pelicans or maybe the Thunder the other night. Um, not what we like to see. Nuggets are creeping up on us, 26 and 12 record, have more wins, but they do have two more losses, so that does keep them below us. Thunder 23 and 11 on a little two game losing streak. Clippers at the four, Kings at the five, Mavericks at the six, Pelicans at the seven. Uh, Mavericks are on a little three-game win streak. Good for them. Jazz—they're on a game win streak. They're—they're uh, they're on. Yeah, seventeen and twenty. Warriors seventeen and nineteen have kind of turned around. Still five and five their last ten. Spurs five and thirty, one and nine their last ten. Five-game losing streak. It's been rough. Victor Wembanyama—the uh, team just appears to not want to give him the ball often. Uh, so I don't know what's going on with him. And uh, second to last, the Trailblazers, ten and twenty-five. Uh, not much, not much going on if you're a Trailblazers fan. But we're approaching that halfway point in the season. We're a month away from the trade deadline. Excited to see any big trades get put through. Uh, I always love seeing when the NBA does big trades because kind of you kind of need a super team nowadays to compete. But at the same time, if you have too many stars, it doesn't work. As the Nets, semi Sixers, and. Uh, Suns have shown us as the Suns are 19 and 17 with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. So, weird stuff in the NBA, but we'll keep it a moving. On to the NHL. We haven't looked at the NHL in a fat freaking minute. In the Eastern Conference, your best team so far is actually a tie. Um, Record-wise, Rangers are the best. Uh, 26-10-2 with 54 points. Bruins, 24-8-6, also have 54 points. Panthers, they got 52 points. 25-12-2 record on a seven-game win streak. They have been balling, 24 point differential. You love to see it. Canadians, 17 and 17, actually have a minus 26 point differential. Not very pretty. Uh, hurricanes are 22, 13, and 5. They got 49 points. Um, towards the bottom, Blue Jackets, worst team in the conference, 13, 19, and 9 record. Um, they do have 35 points for them. So, actually, the Senators are worse with a 14-21 record. It's weird how the NHL works with their overtime losses. But I kind of like how they do it. Checking in with the uh, Western Conference, where we actually care when I check on the Wild. Wild are 17-17-4, 38 points. Yeah, we're, uh, we're way near the bottom. Best team in the NHL, wow, the Jets 56 points, best team in the league, actually, 26, 9, and 4 on a six game heater. 8, 0, and 2, their last 10. Wow, what happened to the Golden Knights? Golden Knights are 3 and 7, their last 10. They've gone from the best team to probably, I don't even think they're in the top five best teams. They have 51 points, 23, 12, and 5, not even leading the Pacific Division. That's the Canucks, 25, 11, and 3, 53 points. They got a plus 47 point differential. That's very pretty. We like to see that. And um, Sharks, wow, Sharks are still the worst. Second to worst, though, is the Blackhawks. Um, Blackhawks are 12-26-2, minus 57-point differential, only 26 points. Uh, for their standing, that is, not scored. Scored, they have 94 scored, giving up 151. Connor Bedard, I saw was placed on IR. Sad to see the kid go out like that, but that's just, that happens sometimes. Happens to the best of us, honestly. Happens to the best of us. And of course, the worst team in the NHL, heading over to San Jose. The only sports team in San Jose, the Sharks. 9, 28, and 3, only 21 points to their name and a minus 84-point differential. 11-game losing streak. It is, it's been rough. To be a Sharks fan. Luckily, I'm not a Sharks fan. I am a Vikings fan, and honestly, I'm a Minnesota sports fan. So actually, I feel your pain. I feel your pain for any uh, for any fellow San Jose Sharks fans. Us Minnesota fans truly feel. We truly get how you are. But yeah, that's your NBA and NHL check in. We'll uh, we'll check in in a week. I, I kind of like that. Kind of like giving it a week to see what's up with um all the other leagues. So yeah, heading into uh, my recap of my day. I mean, I was going to mention my day. This is kind of fun talking about me. Again, not talking about sports. We're talking about Zachary. We're talking about what's up with him. So I had two classes today, kicked off the day with managerial accounting. Um, it's not really, it's like financial accounting, but basically what the teacher, the professor described was that financial accounting is more external and managerial accounting will be internal. So I'll be learning all about accounts and probably how to balance them. Ugh, just, I'm not a big accounting guy. You know, I don't really mind math, but it's just something about when I took accounting in high school, when I took it two semesters ago, it's just, it's hard. It is hard to take. It is hard to go about. And I just, I don't know who I'm going to, uh, Ask for help on this. Probably, maybe my father. Maybe I'll get Chegg. I had to get Chegg for my last class, but I'll find someone. I know one chick in the class. I actually think I, I think I met her welcome week. Yeah, she's nice. She's been to marketing club, so maybe I'll uh, ask her for some help. And uh, the guys I was talking to, we had, we did this little like group activity where you just like say hi to people around you, and they seem chill. So it seems like a nice class. Professor seems bubbly. So uh, managerial accounting will be how I start my Monday and Wednesday mornings. And I already got a lot of homework to do. I mean, I have I have so much work. I'm not doing any day because like it's not really due this week and it's like the teachers want you to follow like a schedule but at the same time it's like I can see how much is going to be due in like the coming weeks so it'll be pretty intense to see what happens Uh, following that I went to the gym we had a little uh little shoulder day quick little shoulder day uh, saw two of my buddies, but um, yeah, you know what? Um, The gym, it's, I'm at an interesting place of in the gym because I don't know, because obviously I go to stay fit, you know, go to see some muscles, but I just, I'm not committed to cutting or bulking. So I'm in that awkward spot where I'm not fat. But I don't have abs. I'm like right in the middle of it. And I want to commit to a bulk because, I mean, I, since my freshman year, I've gained 15 pounds. But I know people who can gain that in a year. And it's that's I'm on year three of college, and I've only put on 15 pounds. Now, be it I don't eat that much, I know it's eating – but I also don't eat clean where I could uh, look lean. So I kind of keep my nice looking physique. I, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with how my body is. And I think that's a major thing for people. if you like how you look, then you're all good. So that's kind of how I am personally. Following that, I headed over to uh, my first day of professional selling class. Gosh, I know one, two, I know two girls I sit by. My uh, buddy's girlfriend is actually in that class and some chick I know from marketing clubs in that class. So I know a number of people in that one. So that, this class will be fun learning how to sell. And I can see myself in sales. And I, I have a lot of people tell me that you'd be in sales. My father was in sales. My grandpa's a um, real estate agent, which is basically selling real estate agents. They basically try and sell a house. So that's selling. And I try and sell myself on here to the podcast for all of you to listen. So yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a fun, uh, pretty good Monday. It was a pretty good first day. It was a long day it's a long day. It's not even five and I feel like I've been up since crack of dawn. I've only been up since like eight o'clock, but still my goodness. Um, tomorrow, Tuesday, I have consumer behavior from two to three We'll see how that goes. I also have a business ethics online. I'll have to check that out. Microeconomics online. I'll have to work on that and international business. I got six classes this semester. It's going to be hectic, but I have a pretty good feeling that I can manage it all and come out of this with some very good grades. So should be a fun week. Of course I'll be working on the podcast, preparing for future episodes. Gonna try and start reading some more. I kinda of fell out of reading over winter break. Um try and figure out a side hustle I can work on. If anyone knows any good side hustles, I have heard copywriting, drop shipping, but that's I don't know. I gotta find something else, something that I will enjoy. Something like that. Got to do some organization around the apartment, stuff like that. Going to maybe try and get some new clothes. Work on the style a bit. You know what I'm saying? Work on the style a bit. Of course, going to the gym, trying to figure out when a uh, career fairs are. Because I got to find an internship. I got to find an internship coming up. I don't know. I don't know what internship I even want. Something marketing related, something in sales. We'll see. Um, I got to sign a lease for next uh, semester. Not even next semester, next year. Next year, I got a fine semester. I'm going to be living with some of my buddies of mine. And they have an open spot in their uh, townhome-type house. Uh, grind out a bunch of schoolwork. And, um, yeah, going to be a fun weekend. Got some UFC, NHL ahead. And that's a lot of the stuff that I will be looking for. So that should all be a good time. Good times coming up. Um, Speaking of good times, coming up. How about the NFL Pro Bowl? Am I right, guys? Yeah, we love the NFL Pro Bowl. Gosh, right? Right? Don't we love the NFL Pro Bowl? Not really. Pro Bowls kind of become a joke, but they did release the roster. I mean, I find that pretty interesting. All right, it's always fun seeing what players were selected. Obviously, not all of them will go due to the fact that uh two teams will make the uh, Super Bowl. And usually the star players. Like usually the QBs that have been selected to the Pro Bowl are in the Super Bowl. So your uh, quarterbacks, we'll talk about the quarterbacks. So the three selected for the NFC are Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, and Matthew Stafford. How about that? You know what, honestly, I feel good for those guys. Um, I don't really know who I'd put ahead of some of them. Uh, when I look at the, uh, what am I, when, when I look at the NFC, I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. Jalen Hurts got spurned just because of how bad he's been playing these last few weeks. Um, I guess Jared Goff hasn't been a focal point. Jordan Love, honestly, the way he's been balling, probably should have gotten. And maybe even Baker Mayfield, but Purdy Prescott and Stafford is pretty solid. I could easily see. To, to all, all of them, making it into the Super Bowl. For the AFC, you got Tua Tagovailoa, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you just can't deny these guys. You just can't deny these guys. I mean, maybe Josh Allen, but he's had some rough games. Um, I mean. Gosh, I thrown Joe Flacco in there. He's fun. CJ Stroud, rookie. I mean, if the Texans don't make it, you, I really hope they send CJ Stroud to the Pro Bowl. He is such an amazing human. Always shouting out Jesus. Always being positive. And if you're a Panthers fan, you were definitely pissed that they took Bryce Young and not him. Bryce Young had such a terrible rookie season. I honestly don't know what they're gonna do next year. The Panthers might draft another QB. Who knows? Because they released their owner. They released their uh, not their owner, their GM. They released their GM, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, who else got fired? Ron Rivera of the Commanders got fired. Um, what's his face? Who Ron Rivera got fired? And Arthur Smith of the Falcons. Oh my gosh, just an absolute joke, is Arthur Smith. He's complaining that the Saints scored like a garbage time touchdown, and he's just like, oh my gosh, why would you do that to like the Saints coach? He's like complaining. He's like that's just the the disgrace. Like they showed us no no respect at all. And I'm just like, buddy buddy. All right. I, I don't, I, you, you just, he's not on the team anymore. That's all you need to know. There's a reason they got rid of Arthur Smith. He's an absolute joke. Uh, we won't spend this much time on all the players, but I mean, heading over to the running backs, Christian McCaffrey. All right. DeAndre Swift and Kyrene Williams for the NFC. rare, very shocked. DeAndre Swift wound up there. I won't lie. Chris McCaffrey makes complete sense. Kyrene Williams, of course they're going to give him pro bowl. He can't win rookie of the year being how much Puka did, how much CJ Stroud did, but he's got to be in the running. I mean, this guy, drafted in round five of Puka, Put some respect on his name. This guy is absolutely amazing. Love him, love him, love him. And also, when I look at all the other running backs, I mean, Rashad White was good. Alvin Kamara was good. Bijan was good. Uh, I, I, you know, um, who who's the Lions? David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs were good. Seahawks. I mean Keth Walker had some good games, but I see putting Dandre Swift in doesn't really bother me that much. Doesn't really bother me. The AFC, you got Raheem Mostert, James Cook, and Derrick Henry. I mean, Derek Henry's okay, but he had such a lackluster season with the Titans. Titans did terrible this year. I guess you give him the nod. Um surprise ETN isn't up there, actually. I'm surprised Travis ETN isn't there. Jonathan Taylor had some good ending weeks, but Um, James Cook over Joe Mixon I think is a little wild personally I think that is a little wild I I don't know how he wound up there Raheem Mostert putting some respect on his name I absolutely love it. Actually Zampa Checkout should be up there Zampa Checkout had a great year They really should have thrown him up there Your fullbacks Kyle Jusekic for the NFC And Alec Ingold for the AFC Uh, Those are the only fullbacks I know. So respect to them Your NFC wide receivers CeeDee Lamb, A.J. Brown, Mike Evans, and Puka Nakua Perfect. Perfect. I like everything I see. For the AFC, Terry Kill, Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, and Jamar Chase. Love it. Just beautiful there. Tight ends, George Kittle and Sam Laporta. Boom. Uh for the AFC, Travis Kelsey and David and Joku. I mean, Travis Kelsey undoubtedly probably probably is yeah, there's no one else you can really put up there. But I will I won't lie. Travis Kelsey had a very downer year. Travis Kelsey had a brutal year. Uh, they're just, ugh, just pretty gross here from Travis Kelsey. It's Taylor Swift's fault. Don't blame anyone else but Taylor Swift. Trent Williams, Lane Johnson, and Penny Will your NFC tackles. Laramie Tunsil, Diane Dawkins, and Taryn Armstead for the AFC. Your centers, Jason Kelsey and Frank Ragnow uh, for the NFC. AFC, Creed Humphrey, and Tyler Linderbaum. Um, and of course, a bunch of guards and stuff. But where are my Vikings boys? all right Did any Vikings boys make it? I think we had two. I think the Minnesota Vikings had two people make it. I don't know for certain. Let me double check, and it doesn't tell me on the one slide I had. Oh, well, you know what? The Pro Bowl, it's going to be an eventful time. It's going to be a good time, but uh, I, I, it's hard to say what's going what's gonna to transpire with it. I never watched the Pro Bowl. It's kind of goofy. They do Pro Bowl games now to make it more interesting, but other, I, don't, I just don't see it being that uh being that uh that interesting to give time to there's just there's no reason to give time to the to the pro bowl you know you know i'm saying it's it's kind of just it's kind of just a waste it's kind of a waste Actually, speaking speaking of like the Pro Bowl, this just kind of reminded me is that the the schedule for next season has been released for the NFL, and I want to just kind of briefly talk about the Viking schedule before we get into a little bit of the main subject of the podcast. But um, here are the actual opponents for a twenty twenty four to twenty twenty five season. Uh, not like dates yet, but um, for home, of course, uh, we don't have to mention it. Bears, Lions, Packers. Okay. Don't know what's going to go on, we split with everyone but the Lions this year. this uh but you know what? I was a little bit of a hater because the Lions lost, but you know what? Kudos to the Lions. you had a good year uh at home. We'll be having the Texans? We get c j Stroud next year. that's bigger. We get the Cardinals be interesting to see what the Cardinals win the off season. They could have Marvin Harrison jr. We'll play the Falcons again i i I don't know why we think that's a game we need to have every single season, but. Hey, you know what? Falcons fans, welcome to Minnesota. We'll be playing the Colts. I'm excited for that little Anthony Richardson action. He should be back. We'll be hosting the Jets. Absolutely love it. Give me Aaron Rodgers. That's going to be a fun one. And we host the 49ers. I don't see why we have to play the 49ers every year. Okay, I'm not, I'm not begging to have uh, the freaking 49ers play us because they're good. But actually, we beat them this year, so what am I saying? On the road, we'll be playing the Seahawks. Um, That should be a fun one. Jaguars, I'll be happy for that. Titans, that should be a freebie win. Actually, has Derrick Henry ever played the Vikings? I have no idea. We'll be playing the Rams, and the Giants should be super fun. I believe we play, so was that the AFC South. We play the AFC South and the NFC West. NFC West. So, hmm. Should be a good one. I mean, early season projections. All right. I'll say Vikings never sweep. Vikings never sweep an NFC team. All right. Um, but I'll say we split. So, let me just put us at a 3-3 three three record. All right. We're not going to go 16-2, f- and 15-2. So, we're 3-3. Three and three. I'm going to say Texans win. Alright, four and three. Cardinals win five and three. Falcons win six and three. Jets, probably an L maybe. Six and four. Colts, seven and four. 49ers we lose. So we're seven and five right now. Seahawks win eight and five. Jaguar. Okay, I'm not doing this. Now the more the more they look at our future schedule. I have no idea what next year is gonna bring, but I'm already i already putting the Vikings as um not doing well. But you know what? We're gonna do well next year. We're gonna win the Super Bowl. I'm not I'm not giving up hope. I refuse to give up hope, but, oh, man, it's, it's tough being a Vikings fan. It is tough being a Vikings fan. Let's talk about something other than sports. Let's talk about the surprise topic for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, we've been ranking so many things in 2023. A lot of, lot of UFC stuff, but guess what? we're going to rank or actually just talk about the top 10 movies I saw in 2023. And obviously a disclaimer I mentioned earlier, some of these I saw at home, but these are all movies that came out in 2023. So not any new ones I saw that came out earlier, but, uh, ones that actually came out in 2023. And honestly, when I made my list, I had only seen 13 movies that were new. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty comical. Uh, so honorable mentions to the three that I saw, um, All at home, I watched Murder Mystery 2 with my girlfriend, a lot of plot twists in that movie with uh, Adam Sandler and uh, Jennifer Aniston, so many plot twists, Um, not as good as the first one, but uh, still, still entertaining. It's a Netflix movie. I watched You People starring Jonah Hill and, uh, oh my gosh, who, Eddie Murphy, Um, yeah, that that was a typical Netflix movie. Um really pushing the racial tones, a lot of racist jokes, a lot of, wow, that that was, that was an interesting one, and of course, The Meg 2, which I watched at my cousin's house, that was, Meg 2 is brutal, Meg 2 is a brutal movie, and you actually hope some of the characters die, and they never do, so uh, I really hope they don't make a third Meg, that was bad. But uh, let's get into our top 10 movies we saw in 2023. And I'm actually taking notes as, of course, we're adding timestamps on to our videos now so that everyone knows what's going on at certain time points. It's going to um, take up more time, but guess what? I'm all about bringing quality and it's season two. This is the start of season two. We got to make it spicy. Alright, kicking off our list at number 10, and by the way, these aren't the 10 best, these are just out of the 10 I saw, I have Ant-Man Quantum Mania, Um, I'm trying to remember when that came out, Uh, I think it was February or March, went to the theater with my girlfriend and saw it, and honestly... Could have gone without it. It was bad. I mean, the Ant-Man franchise kind of went from amazing first movie, funny third, funny second movie to third movie. Just what am I looking at? I mean, Bill Murray got eaten by some like octopus thing. Jonathan Majors was killed by Ant-Man, and with seemingly no effort. I mean, he he should have took over. Um, this was just not a good Marvel movie. CGI mess. So much CGI. It was absolutely ridiculous. You had Modok as this giant CGI floating head. Um, I, I don't. I think it gets more hate than it does. But at the same time, I'm not gonna be rewatching it. I I have no interest in doing it. And Scott's daughter is so annoying. She was like, I was at this protest for global warming, free free the free the rights, or whatever. You know what? I hate violence, Dad. And this they go to like the quantum world, and she's like teaming up with the local people because they need help. You know, they're indigenous or whatever. And I'm I'm just like, I could care less. I just want to see. Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, and honestly, he didn't get as much screen time as he should have. So that's why it lands at number 10, and not a good number 10. Now, at number 9, this is actually a good number 9, is the Super Mario Bros. movie. I watched this um, at my girlfriend's house with her, and I was presently surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Honestly, it was it was a good movie. I mean, hilarious voice acting from uh, Palm, what's his name? Oh my gosh, what's Star-Lord's name? What is his actor's name? Chris Pratt. And, um, gosh, I recognized uh, Luigi's voice, but I can't remember his actor's name for the life of me. But the, it was pretty comical, a uh, pretty basic plot, good animation, very good animation, good story. Jack Black as Bowser was hilarious, and I personally, I, I personally enjoyed it. Now, I did see it at home, so that's why it ends at 9, and plus I, I only kind of like, I, I don't want to say half-watched it, I say three fourth watched it, you know? It's kind of those where you like you're half-watching it, and then you commit yourself towards the end. It was one of those types of movies, but... Honestly, not, not too bad. Not too bad from the Super Mario Bros. movie. And I kind of hope they make a sequel. And honestly, I honestly, do. At number eight, a movie that, I don't, I don't know how to wanna say disappointed me, but I have Transformers Rise of the Beasts. I know it was an absolute hit over the summer. I went to the movies to see it. And I can't remember who I was with. I think I was with two of my buddies, I, uh, three of my buddies. I cannot remember who I saw that movie with. But um, honestly, it wasn't terrible. But I'm a Michael Bay Transformers fan. I find not just 3, uh, just the original 3. I personally like the Mark Wahlberg movies. I know those are not a hit. I like all 5 of them. I find them all good. Um this one, you know, it was, it was a lot of death fakeouts, a lot of just the designs aren't my favorite and I will say the weirdest point the weirdest point is that you have pete davidson as a transformer there's no serious seriousness with that character uh the main guy i actually liked him actually make like the main human but he got a transformer suit and was like killing the main bad guy it was super weird um they keep using unicron as the villain and it keeps not working okay i feel like the fifth michael bay transformers movie had unicron just about perfect and instead it didn't work um i don't i don't know what to expect from the rest of this transformers franchise But uh, it lands at eight here, lands at eight here. Good movie to see in theaters, you know, big things fighting, big explosions, but not just not for me, not for me. At number seven, I have a Jesus Revolution. This movie very much surprised me. Watch this, watch this with my uh, girlfriend. And honestly, I very much enjoyed it. And also if you're not even a religious person I mean this is this is still a good movie I mean it had some twists in it that I didn't see coming I'm like why is there a plot twist in this movie um, there's character arcs there's good stuff and it actually ends by being like showing you the actual story that because it's like based on a true story it's a very good movie um, being a being a believer in Jesus being, loving Jesus you know good good movie to watch I, I very much enjoyed it and it lands at number seven on the list At number six this is probably gonna shock a lot of people. So this is definitely going to shock a lot of people. I, I, I won't lie. I won't lie. This is this is going to be a shocker. Okay. Um. At number six is Oppenheimer. That is right. Potentially everyone's number one movie for 2023. Um. It lands at number six for me. And I do have reasoning. I do have reasoning. First off, first off, I saw this movie at like nine or 10 at night with two of my buddies, two of my buddies. So it was nice seeing it with two of my buddies, but it, it was, a, it was a three hour movie. It was a three-hour movie, and I fell asleep throughout it. We were at an AMC theater; it was crappy. It was a crappy theater. I mean, no recliners. You're kind of just smushed next to people, next to people, and I, uh, I was kind of dozing in and out. Um, I, I watched the first hour and a half, but I mean, it, it reaches a point where, like, wow, there's another hour and a half of this, and uh, kind of putting me to sleep here. Um, cool moments in it. The best part of the film for me was probably the bomb going off. That was probably fun. Yeah, they're just seeing seen actors because there's so many actors in this film. Cillian Murphy did an amazing job. Um, I think he won a Golden Globe for it last night. I have no idea. I don't watch the freaking Golden, Golden Globes. A waste of time, personally. Um, but yes, uh, Oppenheimer lands at six for me. But, um, you know, maybe I'll go back and watch it some other time and uh, give a review of it. And honestly, it's not terrible. It's not. It's a, it's a good movie. It's just long. It's just my only complaint. And, honestly, it's not complaining. It's just an observation. Coming in at number five, I have Sound of Freedom, of course, starring, oh, my gosh, what's his name? What's his name? This is what happens when I don't uh, look at actors' names for a while. Yeah, he played Jesus. He was in that one um What's that? He was in that one TV show. TV show. What's his freaking name? Jim Caviezel. That's his name. Jim Caviezel, starring in this show. Um, What what show is Jim Caviezel in? That I'm thinking of because I'm thinking uh, I I want to see. I really want to see what show I'm thinking of. Jim Caviezel in. He was in a TV show. He was in a TV show that I used to watch. Person of Interest. That was a good TV show. That was a very good TV show. Anyways, yes, Sound of Freedom basically uh, tells the story of human trafficking and how these kids are trafficked. It was a very powerful film, very good. Hollywood was not a fan of it, which was very odd. It was very odd. Um, yes, Jim Caviezel, amazing role in this, playing Tim Ballard, who in real life does this stuff, so that's pretty cool. Uh, saw it of the Theater on 4th of July. Girlfriend came with me. I very much enjoyed it, and it, it touched me at points. It really did. It was, it was one of those films where it's like, wow. This is real, it happens, and there's just moments where, you know, this little girl's about to get raped, like, that serious, and then Jim McViezel comes out just in time, but you, you have to realize, like, he wasn't there all the time, and then stuff did happen to her. And in, like, the opening credits where, like, it rolls, like, the director's names and stuff, it was showing actual child kidnapping stuff of just getting snatched off the street. It was, it was pretty frightening to see, but um, a very powerful movie, and I hope everyone, everyone sees it. Just out of freedom, very good movie. Coming in at number four, we just saw The Iron Claw, but what I realized is that it came out in 2023, even though I saw January 2nd, so I have to count it in my 2023 movies, because if it wins any awards, then it will have been uh, 2023 awards, but yes, The Iron Claw, of course, we mentioned it. I don't know if it was last time, but one of our last few episodes. Of course, about the Von Erich family, you got Zach Efron in it, uh, Jeremy Allen's in it. I mean, just amazing, amazing actors, a great A24 film, good good movie overall, and I encourage anyone to watch it who, who enjoys professional wrestling, who just enjoys A24 films, or is even just looking for a movie that leaves you shocked because, uh, spoiler alert, uh, there is, I think, two suicides. There's, th- there's three deaths in this. There is two suicides in this film. It is is Wow, it is intense. It is a very intense film. Um, but yeah, spoiler warning. It was funny. My mother was actually telling me when I was at home over winter break. She was, and I was recording an episode. She's like, you have to say spoiler warning before you say stuff. And I'm like, well, I'll just leave the, I just won't say spoiler warning. And then I'll know if people actually listen when I uh, reveal what, uh, what I've said. Uh, but yes, anyways, that lands at number four, The Iron Claw. Checking in at number three, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. And I didn't even try to intentionally put it at number three, just laying it there. I'm actually yet to rewatch this movie, but I really have to. The, the Guardians of the Galaxy, probably one of my favorite Marvel franchises, favorite set of movies to watch. And they ended this trilogy out perfectly. The whole thing with um, Rocket in this film and Star Lord and Gamora. I mean, just a crazy, amazing story, and honestly, it does not leave you fulfilled, it does not, I mean, Gabor and Star-Lord grow their separate ways, Star-Lord leaves the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Drax leaves the Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, it is, it is an emotional film, it is, it is, um, I was, I don't know if I cried, I don't think I cried, but I was about to cry, man, it was, Um, it was very good, it was very good, it was sad, it was a sad movie, and it's one of those where James Gunn, proved that he can handle the DC, the DC, the DC universe by directing such amazing movies like the Guardians of the Galaxy. So it lands here at number three. And I'll say, I really gotta watch it. I really gotta rewatch that. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That came out in May, I think it was. Wow. At number two on the list, we have Barbie. That is right. I'm, I'm a Barbie fan. I'm a Barbie fan. And the funny thing is, is I saw so many people I was warned about it before seeing it, that it is just a feminist, men suck, women are good type of movie. And that is the exact opposite impression I took out of it. I took out that I want to be like Ryan Gosling. I want to be like Ken, man. I have a Mojo Dojo Casa house. I mean, the outfits in this were amazing. And honestly, um,. Oh my gosh, what is her name? What is her name? I love when uh, Margot Robbie as a Barbie. Just amazing. Played the role perfectly. It It was a comical movie. It actually, it had me laughing. It was so funny. You had, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, playing Alan in the film as like an action figure. What's that? What's his name? What is his name? He's been in so many movies. He was in Superbad. He was in Superbad. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Michael Sarah. Michael Sarah. Hilarious. Absolutely love watching Michael Sarah in any film he's in. But yes, Barbie. I mean, it definitely was up there with Oppenheimer for awards for best film of the summer of the year. Um, and I enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. I saw it with my girlfriend, and there was a, a dad sitting behind me or in front of me, and he kept laughing, and I was laughing. I'm like, you know what? I enjoy this Barbie movie. I really do. And honestly, when it came to the Barbie versus Oppenheimer, I was on the Barbie gang. I was on the Barbie side. Which leads us to my number one movie of 2023. I saw a lot. I see a lot of movies. Some movies I rewatch. Some movies I sometimes take a while to see. I see on opening nights. And the thing with this movie is, it had so much hype. But I waited to see it. I waited a bit. I pushed it off. I was like, I don't know if I want to see this. And then I watched the first movie and I was like, well, now I got to watch the second one. And that was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And oh my gosh, I'm not a big anime film guy. Okay, I don't really like animated movies as much as I used to. This movie was amazing, blew me away, blew me away, and just the the cinematography, the design, the CG, I don't even know if it was CGI or just the computer-generatedness of the film. I mean, for an animated movie, it was amazing. The animation, that's the word, I'm an idiot, that's the word, the animation of this film was exquisite, voice acting was great. Plot line was great and it ends on such a cliffhanger i mean it ends where it's like this feels like the middle of a movie it's like what this is it and we may have to wait till 2025 to get the third and final movie of the spider man the miles morales story absolutely love it so many um plot lines to wrap up and i would uh, honestly this is another movie i gotta rewatch so good such a good movie you know it's it's weird i of, of my list i have not rewatched Any of these movies. I mean, even going back to my honorable mentions, I've I've not rewatched any of these movies, but um, they've been also good. They've been also good. So, Spider Man across the Spider Verse lands at my number one spot. It landed on a notable uh, other like notable like movie podcast, like people talking about TV shows and stuff like that. Uh, it, It it landed on a lot of their number one spot. So that just shows how good. This freaking movie was. Very much enjoyed it. And that is my top 10 movies I saw in 2023. Not too bad. Not too bad. Saw a lot of movies in 2023. So with that, we will. Uh, what should I end this with? I think I'm going to end with. Uh, should we end with uh, UFC or NFL? Uh, I say we end with NFL because we got a lot to talk about. For NFL, so we'll do our UFC uh, 2024 UFC predictions for the end of uh, not the end of the year for the entire year of 2024. Um, So I went through uh, all 11 divisions that the UFC offers, and I uh, went through and I predicted who I think will be champion on December 31st, 2024. I predicted who will have the best rise out of like in the division and who will have the biggest fall off. So it honestly didn't take as long as I thought it was actually kind of fun to do. I can't lie. Actually, I actually had a fun time going through and just uh, ranking or not. We're not yeah, actually just like browsing all the names and selecting people like, Oh, I think, I think you'll be here and I think you'll be here. But, um, yes, let's, uh, let's kick this off with woman's straw weight, the 115 pound division. Four women and as for champion as for champion, I think Zhang Wei Li will remain champion in 2024. I think she's currently the champion. I mean Zhang Wei Li is an absolute killer. An absolute killer. What's she on? She's on a little two fight win streak, I think, in uh twenty twenty three. She only got one title defense, and that was against Amanda most absolutely destroyed her through five rounds, which which was also unfortunate. But I mean, she's been an absolute wrecking ball, and she's got a number of shot three fight win streak. How about that? Um, but yeah, just absolute killer. Absolutely love her. And for the potential opponent she could be fighting, number two ranked Yan Cheonin. I think Yan Cheonin has good good boxing, but when it comes to the ground game and overallness, I got Zhang Wei I got Zhang Wei Li. If she's not feeling the striking with Yan Cheonin, she'll take her down, TKO her, or submit her. I think that's going to happen. As for a potential next opponent, in Tatiana Suarez. I think the striking for Zhang Weili will play a difference in that. I'm thinking maybe some head kicks, some spinning spinning head kicks, some spinning back fists that Tatiana could catch her off guard. And even when it's on the ground, Zhang Weili is still a dangerous competitor. So that's kind of why I got Zhang Weili retaining. She's one of a one, two, three, four. I have five of the 11 divisions having the same champion by the end of the year, so I'm being very ambitious with new champions, six new champions this year, but I don't think Zhang Weili will be, uh, will be losing her belt at all. Biggest rise in the division. I have number 11 ranked, Lupe Godinez. And if no one knows who Lupe Godino is, uh, L- Lupe Godinez? I think it's Lupe Godine- Godinez. It's Godinez, whatever. I don't know what it is, but Lupe, I mean, super talented. Uh, she turned 30 this year, and she's on a four-fight win streak, actually. All four of those wins coming in 2023. Biggest one was a rear-naked chokehold over Elise Reed, and her last win at UFC 295 was a split decision against Talent the Ritchie, which just showed how much she's improving. Um, only losses into the UFC are to notable people. Jessica Panay, Luiana Carolina, Angel Hill, yet to be finished in her career. And I just see her climbing the ranks the rest of the year. And I don't think she'll be in title shot category, but I could see her fighting the number 10, 9, or 8 next, then potentially the 7, 6, or 5. And you could see Lupe Godinus in the top 5 by the end of the year. And that's my bold prediction for the biggest rise. Biggest fall-off, though, I have the number one contender currently at women's strawweight, Carla Esparza, your former women's strawweight champion. I mean, it, it was just a matter of time before I put Carla Esparza here. I just, I do not see anything impressive with Carla Esparza. Last fought in November of 2022, got destroyed by Zhang Wei Lee to lose the belt. Before that, I mean, she put on the worst fight in UFC history against Rose Damayune, is actually the worst fight in UFC history. And I mean, before that was beating Yan Onan, but that was three years ago. Now, Marina Rodriguez' win was four years ago. Um, she was good at the time, but I mean, she's just, she's getting up there in age. Um, she's turning. I mean, she just she just turned. To be fair, she just turned thirty five. Um, but she had a kid. That's why she's been gone a while. And she also dealt with an injury. I just think a lot of external factors getting up there in age. Carlos Barzal will be falling off. And we'll be lucky to even see her fight this year. And, I mean, who's going to fight her? I don't even know. Jessica Andrade, Marina Rodriguez, Leon in rematch. I, I have no idea. But Carlos Sparzo will be my biggest fall-off. Moving on to the men's flyweight division, 125 pounds. Um, your current champion is Alexander Pantoja. And what, what am I what am I gonna tell you? I think Alexander Pantoja will remain your men's flyweight champion. I mean, I just I don't see who can take the belt off this guy. I don't see who's beaten Pantoa. Cause obviously coming up, end of February, we have a big number one contenders bout between number one ranked Bran Moreno and number two Amir Albazi. And the winner of that will be fighting Pantoa next. Assumingly, assumingly in the summer, but be it that there's no injuries. But, I mean, I mean, Pantoa's on a five-fight win streak. He's beaten Brandon Moreno. Be It it was a close fight. Be it the Brandon Moreno, Moreno fight was close. Um, And Moreno is undefeated in rematches, except against Pantoa, by the way. And I think Pantoa is the division's Volkanovski when it comes to— and Brandon Moreno is the division's hallway where I got Brandon Moreno beating Amir Albazi, probably, but Brandon Moreno not beating Pantoa. And let's hypothetically say Manel Cape works his way up to a title shot. I would pick Pantoa over Cape. We already saw them fight, and that was when Pantoa wasn't really in this new cannibal killer mode that he's in. That's his nickname, Cannibal. Um, but he's just been a whole different animal as of late, and I, I just don't see him dropping this belt. There's just, there's just no shot. There's just no shot, right? There's no shot, and that's what they all say my biggest rise in the men's flyweight division I have number 15th ranked Tatsuro Taiera the kid is um I don't know how old he is I don't know how old Tatsuro Taiera is let me actually I should probably find that out I should probably find out how old some of these guys are um because I I just have all their names written down and I like I kind of know their records but at the same time I don't know like exactly all about them but Tatsura Teira is 15 and oh yeah the kid is only 22 years oh 23 years old he turns 24 January 27th and I mean of his 15 wins 11 by finish, eight in the first round. I mean Tatsura Taira is an absolute killer. he's an absolute dog and I don't see him losing. I don't see him losing all year. I'm seeing him getting two to three fights in this year. And ending the year in the top 10, approaching the top five. Tatsu Taylor is my pick for biggest rise. And I would have picked Muhammad Mokayev because I think Muhammad Mokayev is going to be another star at Flyweight. But the reason I don't is because he's already at eight and he's fighting the number seven guy coming up. And that would only put him like one fight away from the top five. So I figured I'd go somewhere with like Tatsuo Taylor and he at the bottom will definitely be doing good. My biggest fallout for the year it was tough. It was tough. There's not too many people. At men's flyweight, who I could pick, so I went with Matthias Nikalu. Matthias Nikalu is currently ranked number five in the division. But the only thing about um, Matthias Nikalu is that he is coming off of a tough, tough knockout loss to um, Brandon Royval. And besides that, I mean, how, how old is how old is this guy? He was born. He was born. He's thirty years old. So his age isn't too much of a problem. And before that, he had beaten Matt Schnell, David Dork, Tim Elliott, Manel Cape. I mean, he'd beaten a number of people. But I just see him being fed to some of the young up-and-comers in the, the division. I see if if he loses to Manel Cape, I mean, that'll put him in a position to lose to Mohamed Makayev. And if he then loses to Mohamed Mokayev, you're then looking at maybe Tigir Limbekov beating him. Or Steve Erseg, or even Tetsuro Tayera. I just see Matthias Nakalu falling off and being out of the top 15 Maybe not a full career fall off like I'm saying for Carlos Barza, but definitely out of the top five. All right? He's not going to be number five come end of the year. Okay, that's my bold prediction. Woman's flyweight up next for our uh, divisional predictions. Um, current woman's flyweight champion is Alexa Grasso. Very talented Alexa Grasso. But guess what? I have someone new becoming champion in the year. That is right. I have number two ranked. Aaron Blanchfield as your new woman's flyweight, flyweight, woman's flyweight champion come 2020, come 5, 2025, come December 31st, 2024. She currently has a fight slated with number one, number two, number three contender, wow, well, uh, in Atlantic City, March 30th, New Jersey. And I think she wins that and then gets a tail shot against Alexa Grasso. And I think she gets that one tail shot later in the year and wins. And becomes your new champion. I mean, she is twelve and one with eleven finishes. Aaron Blanchfield is a killer. Aaron Blanchfield is talented. I think she has all the tools to become a champion. Her wrestling is exquisite. Her wrestling is very good. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see what uh, what happens next in Aaron Blanchfield's career. But I have her ending the year's champion. That's one of my bold predictions. Biggest rise of the year. I'm going to go with number 13th ranked currently, Kareen Killer Silva. She is 17 and four, ladies and gentlemen. All 17 of those fights ending in finish. Uh, so 100% finish rate for her, including eight submissions, nine KOs. I mean, she is so talented. And she has a huge fight coming up against Lauren frickin' Murphy. And Lauren Murphy's ranked six. And she should destroy Laura Murphy, which would bring her from 13 to 6. And that's in the first quarter of 2024, by the way. So she wins at 6. I mean, she's got five people ahead of her who she could easily beat. Kareem Killer Silva, future woman's flyweight contender. I could see even being a champion. She loves the finish fights, and she is good at it, too. So Kareem Silva will be my biggest rise, maybe in the whole women's realm of the UFC. My biggest fall fall off is going to be her opponent. And that is Lauren Murphy, Lauren Murphy. Oh, you sweet thing. 16 and six in her professional career. Um, um, eight by knockout, one by sub. surprisingly nine of 16 wins by finish. I, uh, that really surprises me. If I'm being honest, I, uh, I, Mer- Lauren Murphy does not strike me as a finisher. Certainly hasn't been in the UFC. Now, thing about Lauren Murphy is she's 40. She's 40. She's turning 41, which we've seen older women do good, but she's just she's kind of approaching the end of her career. It's kind of coming to an end. You can kind of tell, and if she loses to Karine Silva, I mean, who's next after that? Natalie Silva, Tracy Cortez, uh, Macy Barber, Ariana Lipski. I mean, it's just young up-and-comers. So I unfortunately think Lauren Murphy will be having the biggest fall-off of 2024. Men's bantamweight up next as we uh, look at the men's bantamweight. I mean, this is going to be a fun, fun division. So many people rise and fall every single year. Um, but as for champion, I'm riding with our current guy. I got Sugar Shot O'Malley winning twice in 2024 to remain your men's bantamweight champion. And it all starts with this Marlon Vera victory coming up in March. It's going to be a competitive fight. It's going to be a hard fight. But I, I honestly don't. I don't really have any doubts that they, that. Um, What's his, uh, da, 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 that he's going to beat Marlon Vera. I honestly think his boxing better. And I think the only way it's going to mix it up a bit is if Marlon Vera shoots takedowns, which we haven't really seen as of late, maybe in the Frankie Edgar fight. But I mean, I've not seen much from Marlon Vera in the takedown department. And I think just on the path that they've gone, I mean, Marlon Vera's only getting this title shot because he's the only man to beat Sean O'Malley and that Sean O'Malley just won the belt. So they're like, let's do this fight while well, we still can. If they were to fight again, uh, or if they were to fight like someone else, I would not pick Marlon Vera to beat pure young Corey Sanhagen, Henry Sudo, Marab of Shelley, and Algevin Sterling. And logic-wise, number four Corey Sanhagen beat Marlon Vera last year, so there's no real logic there. But um, I got Sean O'Malley beating him, and then assuming, assuming Murado Shelley beats Henry Sudo or Henry Sudo beats Marab Shelley, Shelley, the winner of that fight versus Sean O'Malley later in the year, I'm picking Sean over both those guys. I think Sean is a wrestler's weakness due to his one-punch power, And I think that's going to prove very useful to him in his 2024 tenure. So we got Sean O'Malley remaining your men's bantamweight champion. Your biggest rise of 2024 in the men's band 20 division. I have number 14 ranked Umar Nurmagomedov. Umar was sadly only able to fight once last year, and that was on the first card of the year. So I'll be excited to see him come back. Um, How old is Umar? I know he's young. I know he's young. Umar Nurmagomedov is born in 1996. On January third, so doing some basic math, that would mean he's twenty eight this year. Umar turned twenty eight. The kid's sixteen and 0. All right. Seven wins by submission. Uh I know he has I I don't actually I don't even know how many finishes he has, but uh I know he has knockout wins. I don't know why it's not listing his knockout wins, but Umar's an absolute killer, uh cousin of Habib. I mean, this this kid is going places. Okay, and he's already slated to fight someone big coming up next year. I mean I'm picking him over the number 13, number 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, uh, 4. I mean, the only pers- trouble I see Umar getting into is the top three. I mean, that is how good I have uh, what Umar Nurmagomedov doing. I don't know. Sometimes I just lose my train of thought. And I know it's because I speak too fast. and I have so many thoughts going through my head at once, but I mean, my goodness, actually, but yes, Umar Namagametov could be fine for a belt come 2025. Very much enjoy watching sweet, sweet Umar Namagametov. Biggest fall off for the year. This one's set hard, to, sad to say, but I have number nine, Rob Font. Rob Font um, currently ranked number nine at men's bantamweight, and he has just had just a terrible run. As of late, terrible run. As of late, his, uh, his only win so far has been over number where's where he at? Number is he even ranked anymore? Uh, Adrian Yanez, who was ranked in the top 15 but is now out, um, and that was this year. But since then, I mean, he's lost to Marlon Vera, Jose Aldo, Corey Sanhagen, just lost to Davidson Figueredo. I mean, he just keeps losing fights, he's currently ranked number nine. Uh, I'm seeing him, he's probably fighting number 12, Jonathan Martinez, winner of Mario Batista and Ricky Simone, who are, um, Ricky Simone's ranked number 13, Mario Batista's unranked, but they're going to be a top 15 uh, bantamweight matchup coming at you this upcoming Saturday, or number ranked, or the man we just mentioned, who might and I just see Rob Font sadly having a fall off, but I would compare it to Purity Onward, it's just decisions. He just keeps losing these decisions where it's like, come on, Rob, come on. And his takedown defense is slim to none. Yeah, I think Corey Sanagan went seven of seven over five rounds against Rob Font. That is bad. Giving up seven takedowns on seven attempts. Almost unheard of. Almost unheard of, I would say, but... um. I don't know, Rob Font. I hope you don't have a fall-off, but sadly, I'm predicting you too. Our final women's division, because women's featherweight is not a real division. and was actually, I'm pretty sure, xed out of the UFC. Um, we have women's bantamweight, and we have a vacant title shot coming up um, in less than two weeks. Wow. Um, at UFC 297 in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, between Myra Bueno Silva, who's ranked number three, and Hockwell Pennington, who's ranked number two. And I got Myra Bueno Silva winning that. And hypothetically, we get another title shot later in the year against, let's say, Julia Pena. I'm riding with Myro Bueno Silva. I have the Brazilian Myro Bueno Silva remaining your new Women's bantamweight Champion uh, come the end of the year, hopefully with two title fights. Of her 10 victories, nine by finish. I mean, she has eight submission victories of her 10 wins. Absolutely incredible. She does have an awkward no contest against Holly Holmes, but... We'll put that aside. But, I mean, Mara Buenosilva is so talented. I don't see anyone being able to hang with her uh, freaking in the submission realm. But, man, I'm excited to see what comes of her in this year. My biggest rise of the year. I'm looking at number 12-ranked Norma Dumont. Norma the Immortal Dumont. Um, Ten and two. I believe she's on a little, what is it, one, two, three... Uh, she's she's a little three-fight win streak, but um, so far in the UFC, I mean, she's gone 5 and one only lost is a close split decision. Uh, she's been looking good as of late from what I've seen of her, from what I've been seeing of Norma Dumont. She has been looking exquisitely. Um, she doesn't really have a fight lined up right now, but for anyone above her, I see her getting wins. I see her getting wins over a majority of these women. And I just got to be bold with some of my predictions. So that's why we threw Norma Dumont here. My biggest fall off, I'm going to go with number six ranked. This is wild. Holly Holmes. Holly Holmes fought, what was it, twice last year. Uh, was able to get a win over, who did, she even, who did Holly Holmes even get a win over? Yana Santos, I think it was. Yeah, that doesn't even count as a win. Um, but, uh, but other than that, she got submitted by Mero bueno Silva. And she's old, man, and I'm not trying to say that meanly, but Holly Holmes will turn forty three this year. It is it is, yeah. It's 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 it may be time, Holly. Maybe time. She's currently ranked number six. I see her fighting someone like um Yana or Carol Rosa, maybe even Misha Tate, maybe even they have her fight Norma Dumont, for goodness sakes. Um Holly Holmes, I say, is sadly on her way out due to age and just only fighting like once a year and against some good up-and-comers so Holly you know, my biggest fall off checking in with the featherweight division obviously your champion is currently Alexander Volkanovski but by the end of 2024 I think your featherweight champion will be number 5 ranked currently Ia Topura that's right ladies and gentlemen I'm an Ia Topura supporter I think he knocks out Volkanovski come UFC 298 and after that Fights one more during the year and retains his belt, whether that be Musvardevlov, whether that be Arnold Allen, whether that be Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, Max Holloway. I got Yatopura against all of them. the The kid's the kid's invincible. The kid's insane. Fourteen and zero with twelve finishes, and of those twelve finishes, nine in the first round, coming off the biggest win of his career against Josh Emmett this past year. And by the way, he has like more Instagram followers than. I think, like, four of our current champions, all right, and a lot of top guys. I mean, Io is popular. He's got the style, he's got the look, and he's got the charisma to make him your next men's featherweight champion. And I'm picking him against anyone else in the division. Don't let me down, Matador. Don't let me down. That's his nickname. Biggest rise in the division, I'm going with Mozafar Evlov. Mozafar Evlov is currently ranked number nine, and he does have a fight slated with number three, Arnold Allen. But I just think Mostvar Elvoff is going to end the year as your number one or number two contender. Now, hopefully he can get more than one fight in. Um, He had one fight last year, fought Diego Lopez, of course, beat him by unanimous decision. But it was a close fight. He is 17-0, perfect, perfect 17-0. Seven finishes, so far yet to get finished in the UFC. He is more of a decision machine. But that doesn't stop him from winning. Okay, Mosvair Evov is so very talented. And I think he could be fighting for the belt. End of the year, start of 2025. Oh, you know I got to go with my undefeated Russians all the time. My biggest fall off of the year. I mean, you could even argue he's already fallen off. I mean, it's, it's been ridiculous. I got Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega is currently ranked number three at men's featherweight. Hasn't fought since July of 2022 where he got injured in round one. Before that, he had fought in September of 2021, where he got destroyed by Volkanovski through five rounds. And before that, he had fought in Korean Zombie in October of 2020 and had lost that, or he had won that fight just by a you decision. Know, and mind you, I'll even go before that. He didn't fight in all of 2019 and lost to Max Holloway in 2018. Brian Ortega has one win since 2018, and that's over the Korean Zombie in 2020. He hasn't fought since July of 2022, where he got injured against Yair Rodriguez, and he returns against Yair Rodriguez in, uh, gosh, February, I think it is. February or March, I think it's February. Um, I think he gets destroyed. I think he gets knocked out in round one in that fight. And from there, it's fights against Mosev it's fights against Giga Chikaze. It's fights against Bryce Mitchell. Eh, I don't know how Bryce Mitchell's do, but Sodiak Yusuf, on Murphy. It's fight against- It's fights against up-and-coming featherweights. And I just, you know, and take isn't that old. I mean, he turns, so I think, 34 this year, 33, actually. So he's not going to be that old. But I just think the level of competition he fights is going to continue to increase. Um, and that's that's not even like upwards, it's downwards. He's going to be fighting better guys below him. So I expect Brian Ortega to be out of the top five, hopefully the top 10 by the end of the year. His inactivity has killed me. hes uh, They finally bumped Colby Covington out of the top three. They can do that to Brian Ortega. I mean, Brian Ortega, I mean, come on. Come on, Brian. He, does he hold a win over anyone in the UFC still? I, I, I honestly don't think so. Moving on to lightweight. Man, it's just... It's lightweight. I mean, there was a time in twenty twenty three where I thought Makachev's era could be over, but he destroyed Volk in the rematch. I mean, there's just there's there's no one I'm going to pick against, pick him against. And let's say he fights the winner of Charles Oliveira and Armin Sarukian. Okay, let's say that that let's say that fight happens. Um, I'm, I gotta go with Islam. I gotta go with Islam. I think he's just gotten so good, so much better. I mean, his skill level is insane. You're not supposed to be that good at wrestling and striking. Um, I got Islam retaining his belt. And whether he fights Charles or Armin, whether later in the year he goes up and fights Leon, or whether he fights, freaking, I don't even know, Benoit Saint-Denis, Matus camera I don't even know, whoever he fights, Islam is remaining your champion. And mind you, I'll take into account he only fights once this year, too. I'll take into account he only has one fight this year, and that one fight he retains, so... It's on Mike Chef, you're a lightweight champion still by the end of the year. Biggest rise and fall in the division. This is hilarious. This is hilarious because I did I wrote this stuff out a week ago. Okay. I, I wrote all this stuff out a week ago, and I just found out the news today about Benoit Saint-Denis and Dustin Poirier. My biggest rise of the year is Benoit Saint-Denis, and my biggest fall off is Dustin Poirier. I, I think that's actually hilarious that that's, that's how it worked out for me. But, yes, I'm picking Benoit Saint-Denis as my biggest rise of the year. I've been, I just cannot get enough of oh, Benoit Saint-Denis. 13 wins, 13 finishes, 7 in the first round. And in the UFC, I mean, is yet to even see a round 3. I mean, he's been absolutely ridiculous. A perfect 3-0 and in 2023 2 I mean, as I mentioned, he stepped down short notice by Lizzie Uzaleske dos Santos in 2022. Had a round two submission of Nicholas Dolce. Had a round two TKO, of, uh, actual round three KO of Gabriel Miranda uh, in round in um July of this year. Submitted Ishmael bomb theme in round one destroyed Thiago Moises in Paris in September, and at Madison Square Garden had a minute and 30 that that Shadow Realm knockout over Matt Ravola with a head kick. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. It had me out of my seat. I love what I see from Benoit Saint-Denis. Um, I don't know how old Benoit is, but uh, I do know he was in the, uh, I think it was the French, like, I don't know what it was. Was it the French... Um the french like national not the national guard like a special ops unit. He was in like a special ops unit. It was it's absolutely crazy. Um he's born in 95. So if someone could do some quick math for me. If you're born in 1995, that would make him 28 years old currently, I believe. If I'm good at doing math on the spot. But yes, I absolutely love what I see from Benoît Saint-Denis and he's he's currently ranked number th- 12. Number 12. He's taking on the number 3 guy Dustin Poirier and that is by that's how he's going to rise. I think he'll get another fighter for that. But as for Biggest Falloff, I got Dustin Poirier, guys. I got Dustin Poirier. You don't recover from a knockout like that against Justin Gaethje where he just went limp. I mean, I think I think Benoit Saint-Denis puts a beat down on him. I think he'll give Benoit a tough time. But after that, I mean, Dustin will be knocked down the reins a bit. And I don't see him maybe fighting the rest of the year. I see him maybe retiring and other than Benoit Saint-Denis, I mean, he's got Colby Covington at welterweight, but it's just killers below him. Rafael Fazeev, when he returns, oh, freaking, I don't even know for Dustin Poirier after this, but this loss will shoot him down, and I just think we're going to see a f- unfortunate decline of Dustin Poirier this year. At welterweight, your current champion is Leon Edwards, and I think a lot of people have him never losing this belt, okay? And I think he's that well-rounded, but let me tell you something. By December 2024, December 31st of this year, actually this year, wow, we're in, we're in the upcoming year, that's weird, I got you're currently ranked number three, the undefeated nomad from Kyrgyzstan, Shavkat Rakhmonov. the kid's 18-0, 8 knockouts, 10 subs, alright, 100% finish rate, 50% of those finishes in the first round. Shafkat is a future champion. Give him his title shot. He'll run through anyone. I think, whether it be Bala Muhammad fights Leon at UFC 300, by the end of the year, we will have seen Shafkat fight for the belts and finish his way to 19-0 as your new UFC welterweight champion with 19 finishes, okay, Shavka Rachmanov, huge Shavka Rachmanov fan, all right, me and, me and Laura Laura Sankos, all right, we should create a, a fan account of how much we love Shavka, because she loves Shavka, he's got a dope hat, he's so humble, and he just goes in there and wins, that's all he does, he just goes in there, and goes, okay, I'll knock you out, okay, I'll submit you, that's just what I do, Shavka, you bring me so much joy. Biggest rise of the year, this one was tough, So it's tough. We got a lot of young up and comers at welterweight, but I'm going with number eleven ranked Jack Della Maddalena. All right, I I really like what I'm seeing from this kid, and part of this is he gets a huge shot against Gilbert Burns at number four. Okay, he at UFC 299, he's taking on the number four guy. Jack should win that. Jack should win that. It'll be tough though. Gilbert will offer some challenges, but the boxing of JDM should be able to neutralize. The boxing of Burns. And if he can just defend some takedowns, that should be your win for JDM. And that'll propel him into the top five. And then you got fights against Bilal. Then you got fights against Sean Brady, Colby Covington, uh, freaking Leon Edwards potentially. And I just think JDM is going to have a very good rise this year. I just got that feeling. My fall off, it's personal, it's targeted, it's at number five in Colby Covington. He let me down. All right, I'm a Colby Covington stand. And he let me down against the Ann Edwards, did nothing, was, was arrogant and cocky after he brutally lost. Um, and w- w- what's next for Colby? What's next? It has to be a young up-and-comer, okay? It, it just has to be. And we'll be lucky if we see him fight next year. I don't see us seeing him fight anytime soon. Um, Colby, you disappoint me. And I just think, you know, he's getting up there in the age. What is he, 35, 36 now? It's, it's becoming time. Colby Covington hangs up the gloves. Moving on to middleweight, your current champion is Sean Strickland in the middleweight division. But I have a new champion by the end of the year, and his name is Driskus Duplessis. That is right. I have your number two ranked Driscus Duplessis becoming the new middleweight champion Um, in freaking, actually, now it's just speak of it, in 12 days, in 12 days, less than two weeks, I have Driscus knocking out Sean Strickland, becoming the champion, and having one or two more tile defenses the rest of the year. And ending the year's champ, I think Duplessis has got what it takes. I mean, the kid is freaking good. He's 20 and 2 with 19 finishes, 50 by uh, submission, 50, uh, 50 by knockout, by the way. I mean, absolutely insane uh, talent from him. And after knockout, Whitaker, I don't see anyone anyone challenging this guy. He is so freaking talented. Um, I'll see if he had Hamzat. We'll see, because I don't see Hamzat getting a title shot this year. Uh, biggest rise in the division is actually someone not ranked. Or actually, he is ranked now. They just threw him on here. Um, but Kyle Bralo, who's currently ranked number 15th. Good to see they finally threw him in the rankings. 15-1 um, and one record on a 12-fight win streak. Eight of his 15 wins by uh, finish. I mean, this kid is talented. This kid is so talented. He's excellent grappling, scary striking. Has just been a, on a tear in the UFC. I'm... Uh, I'm trying to find his last fight out because it was a very entertaining, very entertaining. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't entertaining, but he's been in entertaining fights. I, I was trying to see, uh, bum Kyle Baralo. Oh, I guess Kyle Baralo did not fight on this card. So now I'm confused when Kyle Baralo last fought. Oh, he last fought in November, beat Albus Magmanov. There it is. He's 5-0 and in the UFC, fought twice on Dan White's Contender Series in Season 5, winning both of those. Um, he's so talented. Like we mentioned, 12-fight winning streak. He is a, he's a force to be reckoned with, and he should be rising up the rankings this year. You keep your eye out. My biggest follow-up of the year, a sad one, a sad one. I got Robert Whitaker. I got Robert Wicker, man, and don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he is still the guy who beat Marvin Vittori, who has whooped Jared Cannoneer, who's given Adesanya a run for his money, who has beat uh, no one else ranked currently, but we all know how good Robert Wicker is. But the thing is, is I just, I don't see him remaining number three contender. end of the year. He's fighting Paul Costa. Which I think is just a perfect matchup. Both guys one will rise, one will fall. And I think Paulo might steal that one from Robert Whitaker. And then he's got fights against Brendan Allen, Romadoladize, Hamza Chemaev. I mean, Nazin Imovov. Um this is the Kyle Barallo even. I mean, he is, there's just so many contenders whom Robert Whitaker's gonna run into. A title shot is really not in anyone's mind sooner or later. I just think Whitaker kinda has a fall off for this year. And it might only be a one loss fall off, but that's just how I view it. Two more divisions, ladies and gentlemen, as we head to the light heavyweights. Your current champion is Alex Behera. Okay, Alex Behera winning the belt against Jerry Pochaska. Very good, very talented, but I've got, a, I've got a good one for you here. So I think Behera defends the belt against Jamal Hill in the coming three months, maybe at UFC 300. I don't know who's going to win that. I can't tell you but I got Mogman Ankalaev being Johnny Walker this weekend. That is my, if, you, if you're listening now, you've already heard my prediction, but I got Johnny Walker losing to Mogman Ankalaev. I then got Mogman Ankalaev in the August to December range fighting the winner of Hill and Pereira for the light heavyweight belt, and I have Mogman Ankalaev finally winning the belt that should be his. Mogman Ankalaev, ladies and gentlemen, I, I love this guy. I'm a Magma Knockout fan. Maybe he doesn't have the most exciting style, but I remember. I know how good he is. Ten fights. To, oh, what is it? He's like on a ten fight on beaten streak. I think it was the no contest. Kind of negates the win streak, but on un- beaten streak. 18-1 and one professionally. Ten wins by knockout. Six first-round finishes. The only loss he had was against Paul Craig where he was winning and tapped with a second left. Absolutely crazy stuff, but... I got your number three contender, Magman on rising to become your new light heavyweight champion by the end of the year. I like that pick. My biggest rise of the year is actually an unranked guy, but it's Carlos Ulberg. And I am, who boy, I am pumped to see Carlos Ulberg step in the octagon nah, whenever, he, uh, whenever he does next. When, where, when did he last fight? When did Carlos Ulberg last fight? Because this is going to be impossible. This is gonna be impossible to find Carlos Ulberg, isn't it? Um, did he fight at Holloway and Korean Zombie? I'm trying to remember. Um, it's been a minute since Carlos Ulberg last fought, but um, who is he beaten? Has he fought in Kenny and Chukwu or whatever it was? Um, gosh, this is what I tell you guys. This is why I gotta do research sometimes because now I'm just caught looking for someone's name. You may be like, "Who's Carlos Ulberg?" Well, he's a light heavyweight. Trains at um, uh, City Kickboxing in New Zealand. He's actually very good at City Kickboxing. Um, Israel Adesanya. Adesanya versus Whitaker. Oh, there he is. Carlos Zuberg is currently on a five-fight win streak. Went 2-0 in 2023 with two finishes. Oh, by the way, of those five wins, four by knockout. Um he's absolutely actually one of them was by submission. That was it was that oh, it was at UFC 293. I was about to say I knew Carlos Uberg fought this year recently. Um he's super talented and he's taken on Dominic Reyes coming out, and sadly Dominic Reyes is on his way out of the UFC. He's not even notable to put biggest fall off. He's had a fall off. But after that, I mean, sky's the limit to fight upwards. And a name who I could see him fighting next is actually the name for my biggest fall off. And that is Anthony Lionheart Smith. Yeah. Yeah, it's Lionheart Smith. I know. I know it's sad to see Anthony Smith falling off like this. But it is it is time. It is time for Anthony Smith to hang it up. Um, 35 years old. It's it's, it's near the end. It's actually, wow. He was born in 88. So he's actually, I 36 this year. Um, Anthony Smith has won one fight since 2021, and that was a split decision in August against Ryan Spann. He's coming off a horrible knockout loss to Khalil Roundtree Jr. Absolutely put Anthony Smith on skates. He's not going to be fighting anyone easy. Coming up, he's fighting down. So, I mean, you're looking at Alonzo Osmalt, Mirza Khanoff. Oh freaking just the man I mentioned, Carlos Huberg. It's tough going. It's tough going for Anthony Smith. And by the way, it's the same guy that almost lost um, to a robber in a home invasion like grappling thing. It was It was a very odd scenario when he told that story. Let's get on to our final division, ladies and gentlemen, the heavyweights the big boys, the big question marks, all right? you know, heavyweight title should be the most coveted title in the company. And I feel it's a rare, rare commodity nowadays. Um, your champ on December 31st, I have being your current champion John Jones, and that's because I don't think he fights this year. I think he's John Jones is not going to rush a recovery from injury. I don't see maybe towards the end of the year, John Jones fights. And if it's if if Dana White's adamant and Stipe Miokic, then he's going to run through Stipe and maybe retire, maybe retire. But I don't know. I see John Jones holding the belt on December 31st. But my real champion will probably be Tom Asmall. I mean, Tom Asmall already said he's targeting the winner of Curtis Blades at home, Almeida. I mean, he could even fight Cyril Gone in that time span. And I'd rather see Stipe fight Tom Aspinall, even though I doubt that'll happen. I don't know. John Jones, I still I see still being champion, but Tom Aspinall should get a title shot. If, if Tom Aspinall gets a title shot, I'd pick Tom Aspinall. My biggest rise goes to an unranked competitor, Shamil Gaziev. And we just saw him open up the prelims on our final uh, fight of the year. And, come, Oh my gosh, this guy's a wrecking machine. Wrecking machine. I mean, he's 6'3, 260 pounds, 12 and 0. Oh my goodness. And by the way, of those victories, only one has not been a knockout. Only one. Oh my gosh, that's absolutely insane. I, I don't even know what to make of that stat. Just Shamil Gazioff is a heavyweight wrecking ball. Just ran through Martin Boudet, who was on a 12-fight win streak in his debut. Um, Shamil, I got him beating the 15, 14, 13, maybe some trouble at 12, maybe some trouble at 10, the uh, 10, the 9, the 8. I mean, I got Shamil beating a lot of these guys in the rankings. So Shamil Gizioff, keep your keep your eyes open for him when he gets a ranked opponent next, because he will. And my biggest follow for the year will be Steve Mbiokic. He's currently ranked number fourth, hasn't fought in the UFC since twenty March of twenty twenty one, doesn't hold a win over anyone, currently ranked. Okay, this is that's embarrassing. Has supposed to have fought in John Jones the last year or so, never never materialized. And uh I don't see him I don't even know if he fights this year. So I think and when he does, he'll retire because he'll either get destroyed by Tom Asmall or John Jones, no matter what scenario happens. So, Steve A with the biggest fall-off of 2023. 2024, actually. Wow, 2024. I got used to saying that. You know, whenever the year changes, you can kind of have trouble adjusting and going over, like, oh, I'm, I'm having trouble writing this or saying this. Yeah, I'm going through that still. It still feels like 2023. It doesn't really feel like a new year, even though it is. But, hey, that's just how it goes. So, yeah, those are my UFC predictions for 2024 and it's going to be an action-packed year it's going to be a good year i can already tell i can already tell we got so much fun stuff planned on the podcast but with that we'll round out this episode with our uh, final per final predictions for um not final predictions what am i saying we're gonna round it out by covering the uh week 18 recap of the NFL season, the final season of the NFL. The NFL talk on this podcast is so slowly coming to an end, and I never even tended to talk about the NFL as much as I do. Uh, it's supposed to just be about UFC, but I enjoy sprinkling in a little NFL for any of my NFL fans. So with without a do, I mean, let's uh, let's just kick off, because we had 16 games. Uh, oddly enough, on uh, of course, on episode 54, we crafted the perfect uh, playoff scenario for the Vikings to make the playoffs. Quite possibly nothing I needed to happen happened. Literally every team that wasn't supposed to win won. Um, so we actually did worst. the worst week of picks. We went 6 out of 16. I lost in every pick league I had. Um, so I thought that was pretty comical uh, to my dismay. Comical to my dismay. But uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. So um, our first game we had of 2024... I'm not twenty one. What am I saying? What am I saying? Sometimes I just say those random things. We kick things off on Saturday with the Steelers and the Ravens, and just just as I predicted, just as I predicted, the Steelers got it done in the season finale. The Steelers coming up massively, um, winning seventeen to ten against the Ravens backups. So that doesn't really tell you much. I mean that they beat the Ravens backups, so it was a close game, but nonetheless. Steelers will make the playoffs because of their win. Najee Harris, 24.3 fantasy points. Deontay Johnson, 18.9 Pittsburgh defense, 13. Um, T Hunley, 13.84 for the Ravens. Isaiah likely 11.1. Yeah, not, not much in the defensive realm for the, uh, or the offensive fantasy performance realms. I'm trying to say, um, Game start off, Najee Harris getting a touchdown in the first, Isaiah Likely catching his uh, one pass for a touchdown from Tyler Huntley in the second quarter, no scoring in the third, a touchdown from Deontay Johnson, will put the uh, Steelers up by a touchdown before Boswell would make it a 17-7 to game, and Tucker would hit a field goal with 16 seconds left for the Ravens, and yeah. That would just round out the game. Mason Rudolph, 152 yards and a touchdown. Not too bad, but really the star of the day was Najee Harris. 112 yards on 26 carries for a touchdown. Finally finding his footing as the season winds to an end. Deontay Johnson, four catches for 89 yards and a touchdown, was the main star. Crazy enough, George Pickens, no catches. Very interesting there. Um, As for the Ravens, uh, Huntley, the backup, 146 yards and a touchdown. Gus Edwards rushed for 48 yards. Now Saglor leading catcher, five catches for 39 yards. Yeah, not much went on for the Ravens as they rested their starters ahead of their uh, break. And actually the starters are going to be out two weeks it's pretty. It's pretty wild, due to getting a first-round bye. Despite that, Ravens will finish as the best team in the NFL with a 13 and 4 record. Um, very impressive. Plus, um, 203 point differential. Absolutely incredible. I absolutely love it. They are. Uh, they came so close to being actually plus 203. Maybe the boy, best point differential. Six and three at home, seven and one on the road. Ravens, we'll see you in the playoffs. As for the Steelers, 10-7 sneak in as the seven seed um, in the playoffs, minus 20-point differential. Three-game win streak, though, to round out the season. Very good stuff. Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph? I'm I'm sure they gotta start Kenny Pickett, right? Right? They gotta start Kenny Pickett for the end of the season, I'm, I'm assuming, right? They have to, guys right i don't know we'll see what um we'll see what happens but uh yeah good stuff for the steelers uh we'll mention all the playoffs matchups as we uh end and the episode or end the uh, actually i guess yeah and the episode as we end our little nfl talk Second game on Saturday, I also correctly projected to happen. I was actually hanging out with my buddies when this went down. We were at the casino. I lost $10. Um, Texans beat the Colts 23 to 19 to send their team to the playoffs and win the AFC South. Absolutely amazing. Um, this Texans. This is a feel good Texans team, I'll say. This is a feel good Texans team. Uh, Twenty-three to nineteen, as we mentioned. Nico Collins, thirty-four fantasy points for the Texans. C.J. Stroud, twenty, and Devin Singletary, thirteen point five. Jonathan Taylor dropped a twenty-seven fantasy bomb for the Colts. Uh, Matt Gay, ten for the uh, as the kicker, ten points for the kicker. Pretty competitive game from the jump. It was uh, 14-6 at halftime. Texans were run away with it. A Jonathan Taylor 49-yard touchdown and an extra point conversion from uh, Moelle Cox would end up tying up the game. A field goal from Kami Fairbairn, 51 yards. Pretty good. Matt Gay would hit a field goal. And just like that, it was um 22... What was Actually, what was the score? I'm getting ahead of myself here. It was 17... 17, then Devin Singletary scored a touchdown and Fairbairn missed the extra point, leaving it 23-17, Colts, 4th and 1, game on the line to get into touchdown territory, Dardaman Shoes, pass is behind the backup, wide receiver. I don't know who it was, Goodson or whatever, some backup, some backup player, I'm trying, who, who was the uh, Colts guy, I think it was, I, I legit actually have, I have no idea. Who that? Who the uh, backup guy was, but he dropped the ball, resulting in the Texans winning the game. Actually, it's kind of odd. The uh, kicker for the punter for the Texans ran out of bounds to like end the game or whatever. Very odd ending, but nonetheless a win for the Texans. C.J. in recurring return game from a uh, concussion. It was throws for 264 yards. Wow. Very impressive stuff, C.J. And two touchdowns. Singletary ran for 63 yards on 24 carries for a touchdown. Nico Collins, nine catches, 195 yards. A touchdown was stud of the day. Dalton Schultz, five catches, 42 yards. Fell, I'm pretty sure, like, a yard or two short of hitting, like, his goal for the season to get a bonus. I don't know if that's true or not, but... Well, I'll have to look back at that. Gardner Minshew, only 141 yards passing, no turnovers. Jonathan Taylor, 30 rushes for 188 yards and a touchdown. Absolutely insane. Nothing really impressive from the wide receivers. Just a Jonathan Taylor, where have you been all year? Where have you been all year? Zach Moss was the starting back for a while. Was putting up better numbers than you. My my freaking goodness. Colts, 9-8 and eight record. They'll finish third in the AFC South. Middle of the pack team on the year. Um, they finished with a minus 19 point differential, almost got to 400 points scored Had 396. We're better on the road than at home, which is funny to say, Anthony Richardson, you will be the starting back, uh, quarterback that is for the Colts next season. I don't know how this Colts team is going to look, but we'll have to see promising stuff. As for the Texans, C.J. Stroud looking to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, which such an amazing year he had. Ten and seven with this team, plus twenty four point differential, six and three at home, four and four on the road, and on a two game win streak and win the AFC South. So so impressive. I honestly I feel really happy for this Texans team. C.J. Stroud, you're a good guy, and uh, we'll talk about his playoff matchup later on. Um, in uh, kicking off our Sunday games, gosh. Gosh, freaking Dars! Quickest game of maybe the season. The Buccaneers beat the Panthers. I, I can't I this Panthers team. pissed me off, you know. I needed them to beat the Bucs just to do it. They lost. Actually, sending the Bucks to the playoffs, so good for the Bucs. But Panthers, this is one of the worst teams in NFL history. This is just a terrible team. This is just a terrible team. Buccaneers win 9-0. That's right. The Panthers didn't score the last two weeks of the NFL season. That's ridiculous. Tampa Bay defense high score with 15. Rashad White had 13. Chris Godwin, 11 fancy points. Chubb Herbert at 11 for the Panthers. That's all we'll talk about. No one no one else did anything. No one else got into double digits. Two field goals from Chase McLaughlin in the second. A field goal from Chase McLaughlin in the fourth. And that was the whole scoring for the whole game. That's right. At home for the Panthers. Baker throws for a mediocre 137. Shod White rushed for 75 yards. Godwin had six catches for 51. Nothing went on. Bryce Young, that's right, the number one draft pick from the past draft. 94 yards on 11 out of 18 completions. Chubb Hubbard rushed for 83 yards on 23 carries. DJ Chark Jr., two catches, 46 yards. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. They fired their GM. Panthers finished 2-15. and 15. Two hundred thirty-six points for four hundred and sixteen points against. I think that's minus one hundred and eighty point differential. Two and six at home, zero and nine on the road. They end on a three-game losing streak. And oh my gosh, is this the worst offense in the league? Um, oh, they tied for worst offense in the league. That's wild. That's actually wild. So the actually, yeah, the worst offense in the league is the Carolina Panthers incredible just incredible and thanks to um, their trading abilities the bears will get the number 1 pick it's a disaster in carolina hey good good weather good good place to live but i personally wouldn't be a sports fan there actually hurricanes doing not too bad in uh what what's that sport called hockey buccaneers though i mean they finished 9 and 8 pretty mediocre uh they do have a plus 23 point differential better at um better on the road than at home getting a crucial win to sneak into the playoffs and honestly, they have a winnable game in their first matchup. But we'll, we'll see how they perform. I mean, I'm not going like, to really like, you know, obviously the Eagles have been sucking as of late. But the Buccaneers end with, you know, a, win, a 9-0 win over the Panthers. I mean, a loss to the Saints. Uh, I'll say the most impressive wins they were on a little heater, a little three game win streak for a time. That kind of dwindled, but uh, yeah, Buccaneers. we'll, we'll you'll see, we'll see you in the playoffs. You know, well, guess what? Guess what? The Vikings will beat this team. Okay, gosh darn. Actually, the Buccaneers beat them. Okay, never mind. We're we're not talking about the Vikings yet. All right, we'll get to that in a second. Um, our second, uh, 12 o'clock game of the day, I was very happy about after watching the Panthers lose, um, as I predicted that the Bengals would beat the Browns and they did 31 to 14. Oh my goodness. Just, oh my gosh, just a blowout win in the AFC North. David Bell, wide receiver for the Browns, 22.8 fantasy points. QB Jeff Driscoll, 13.94. The day belonged to Joe Mixon though with 24.7 and Yossi Vyas, the backup wide receiver or whatever, 20 points for him. And Jake Brown had 18, not too shabby. Um, to, For everyone wondering, the game started out 31 rip. I mean, two two touchdowns from the Browns in the final eight minutes of the game. That was how they scored. But, I mean, we kicked off the first quarter two Joe Mixon touchdowns. Then Andre Iofas got a touchdown, Evan McPherson field goal. Then another Andre Iofas touchdown in the third quarter. Bengals starters were on lock against the backups for the Browns. Jeff Driscoll, 166 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Yeah, Joe Flacco will definitely be hit against the um, Texans. Pierre Strong, 14 rushes for 65 yards, did nothing. Glad I didn't start him in fantasy, even though it wouldn't mattered. David Bell, four catches, 68 yards and two touchdowns was the best thing about the wide receiver core. Jake Browning, 156 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Yeah. He's staying with this team. He is a good QB. He's a good backup QB. Joe Burrow, you've taught him well. Actually, A.J. McCarron came in and threw three passes for 20 yards. Joe Mixon, 14, rushes 111 yards and a touchdown. And I think he had one catch for a touchdown. Uh, Andre Ivozov, though, five catches, 36 yards, and two touchdowns. Very very good stuff all around for this Bengals team. Ending the year on a bang, if you will. Ending the year strongly. That was their goal. Uh, nine and eight, though, sadly will miss the playoffs. Which, you know, I'll th- say they're a bit banged up. So it's not too bad they're out of the playoffs, but it kind of sucks because one more week. I feel like they kind could have gotten in. Uh, they do end with a minus eighteen point differential, better at home than on the road. Six and three at home, three three and five on the road. Uh, good good stuff for the Bengals though. They'll be back with Joe Burrow next year. And I I really like this team. If Jamar stays, if T Higgins stays, this uh, Joe Mixon stays, this team should be pretty good heading into next season. Browns though, into the playoffs they go eleven and six at the fifth seed. They will visit. Tennessee. Uh, the Tennessee. The Houston Texans. Wow, I'm getting all messed up now. Um, despite losing by what was that? 14 to 31, that is uh, seventy. But despite losing by seventeen, um they do maintain a plus thirty-four point differential, eight and one at home for the Browns. They were almost unbeatable at home. Uh five of their uh six losses came on the road. I'm um, excited to see what the Browns offer in the playoffs. And with Nick Chubb going out, with Deshaun Watson being a bum, uh, this team has really found itself pretty, pretty incredible to see. Alrighty, we will uh, we will uh, mention this once, once and for all. We will uh, briefly, briefly talk about this. There's no need to talk about it, because we don't talk about our favorite teams a lot, do we? Of course, the Lions beat the Vikings 30-20. to And uh, yeah, the Vikings will miss the playoffs. 7-10 and 10 record. It was a bad season. And it didn't feel like a bad season. We had so many close games. We had so many close games. We only had a minus 18 point differential. That's not even that bad. An atrocious 2-6 at home. So glad I did not buy season tickets. 5-4 and four on the road. We were much better. We end on a 4-game losing streak. 4-game losing streak. If we had won all 4 of those games, we could have ended 11-6. It's insane to think about. My goodness, Vikings. My goodness. Crushing my picks hopes. Crushing my fantasy hopes. Just crushing my real life hopes. Justin Jefferson dropped thirty six fantasy points. Gosh, I got draft him next year. Oh my gosh, he's so good. Nick Mullins twenty. Jordan Addison fifteen point seven. Ross St. Brown showed up as always for the Lions twenty seven fantasy points. Jared Goff twenty. Sam Laporta thirteen point nine, but did go out in the second quarter with a knee injury. I'll be interested to see if he's back against the Rams. Um, somewhat competitive game, and it started out rough. It started out very rough. Fourteen rip. For the alliance, we rallied with two field goals in the second quarter, making it 14 to six at halftime. Then turned into 21 to six. Then turned into 21 to 13. 28 to 13. Then turned into 28 to 20. And we just could not keep up as the final score 30 to 20. Vikings just could not put it together. Nick Mullins 396 yards, two touchdowns, and if you'll believe it, two more picks. Yeah, he's a backup. But you do honestly, though, honestly though. I don't know what to make of the backups, okay? Nick Mullins took some risks, but I truly feel Josh Dobbs should have been playing this game. Ty Chandler, 12 rushes, 69 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin Jefferson, star of the day. 12 catches, 192 yards and a touchdown. He only played 10 games this season. Had a 1,000-yard season. He is the best wide receiver in the league. Jordan Allison, 4 catches, 57 yards and a touchdown. Man. Honestly, if Jordan Aston um, was the number one wide receiver on this team, he'd have been rookie of the year. I mean, that kid is so talented. Goff throws for 320 yards and two touchdowns. Montgomery and Gibbs both punch and running touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown, seven catches, 144 yards, and a touchdown. Of course, Sam Laporta in only like not even two two quarters of play at five catches for a touchdown. That's it's not too shabby. Vikings, of course, finish seven, seven and ten. Oh uh, man. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna draft a good player next year. All right, we're going to do a little reshuffling. All right, we'll figure out what we're going to do with Kirk. Uh, I'd cut Jaren Hall, personally. Jaron Hall sucks. I don't know what what the heck he's up to. Maybe even, I kind of keep Dobbs. I doubt we will, but we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll be back next season with vengeance. Okay, vengeance. Vikings are winning the next Super Bowl. It's going to be a Vikings-Jets Super Bowl. Let me tell you that. It's going to be storybook. It's going to be amazing. Like, oh, man, I just, I, I hope to see a Super Bowl. My parents got to see a Bears Super Bowl. My whole family got to see a Bears Super Bowl. Well, not the not the younger kids, but all the adults did, okay. Can I have a Viking Super Bowl, please? Can we make the Super Bowl at least? Can we at least make the Super Bowl? The farthest I've seen them make it is the conference, which I've seen them lose multiple times. Lions twelve and five win the NFC North. You know what? They've never they've they lose it all the time. You know what? At least the Packers didn't win. I'll give it to the Alliance. I'll give it to you. I was I was a hater at first, but you know what? i will give it to the Alliance. We'll give it to you. 461 points for, 395 points against. Despite the plus 65 point differential, defense is kind of shaky. Offense is good, defense is shaky. 6-2 and two at home, 6-3 and three on the road, even all around. You know what, Lions? Best of luck against the Rams because Matthew Stafford is going to march into Detroit and put on a typical 0-9 Lions performance in school, y'all. It's going to be a like Calvin Johnson up in there, my goodness. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was a little upset. I was a little upset, a little upset that the, the Lions lost, but guess what? Who knows if they'll win in their opening playoff matchup. I don't know. Swinging over to the NFC in one of the oof, bummiest games of all time, the Jets beat the Patriots 17-3. to Brees Hall had 29 fancy points, and the Jets' D had 18. Best performer for the Patriots, 13 for Ezekiel Elliott. Next closest, the New England defense with six. Yeah, Patriots suck. Patriots are bad. Um, It was 6-3, to three, Um, actually it was 9-3 to three off of field goals before uh, Brees Hall had a 50-yard touchdown run and then ran in a two-point conversion. Patriots going out like that, you came in, losers. Trevor Simeon for the Jets, 70 yards on 8 of 20 completions. They just ran with Brees Hall the whole time. 37 rushes for 178 yards and a touchdown. That was all they did. You know, the Patriots had no answer. Bailey Zappi, 88 yards, two picks. Yeah. He uh, he'll, he probably will not be starting. And Belichick is probably done, too. Ezekiel Elliott, 13 rushes for 54 yards and had five catches for 27. He's the only good we can point out from that Patriots loss. 236 points for, 366 points against means a minus 130-point differential, and they are tied with the Panthers for the worst offense in the league. But despite that, not the worst defense. Not the worst defense, honestly. Patriots defense wasn't too bad. Um, it was just this offense was terrible. They had no, they had nothing. There's like there's no weapons on this offense. I mean, Rondre Stevenson went out. They had nothing. Hunter Henry was not consistent. It was it was bad. Patriots finished one and eight at home. R.I.P. Any ticket holders, season ticket holders. I feel bad for you. Um, three of their four wins came on the road. Wow. Four and thirteen record is terrible. And on a two game losing streak. Who knows? Who, who knows? Who will be seen on the field, coaching, playing for the Patriots next year? I don't know. They should draft a QB. Jets finished seven and ten, and you know what? They they had an interesting path to get here, but could have been worse. Bad on the road, bad at home, but mediocre overall. Three hundred fifty-five points allowed. They had a pretty good defense. Offense though, two hundred sixty-eight points. I mean, it just they stood. Their offense just wasn't what it was. It was crafted around Aaron, and it crumbled without Aaron. They did end on a win, though, so you know what? They'll be back next year. They'll probably be one of the top teams next year. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with the Jets. Good for you guys. Swinging back on over to the NFC in the NFC South. Saints and their season on a blowout with the Falcons, forty-eight to seventeen. My goodness, that was what a blowout! Bijan had twenty-six fancy points for the Falcons. Desmond Ritter fifteen. Jordan Smith eleven. Derek Carr twenty-seven fancy points for the Saints. How about that? A.T. Perry twenty and Rashid Shaheed fifteen. I love Rashid Shahid, by the way. Um, from the get-go, I mean, it wasn't. It was actually kind of close to start out the game. Uh, I believe the started off. It was like seven seven, or it was um, fourteen to seven for the uh, Saints. I mean, it was it was pretty close, and then things just got worse. And by halftime, I mean it was. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure by halftime, it was twenty seven. I think it was only seventeen to ten, and then third quarter, two touchdowns for the Saints. Third quarter, they had three touchdowns, including a controversial one-yard run from Jamal Williams. Of course, Saints lined up in victory formation up 41-17, and the team huddle selected to have Jamal Williams punch in a touchdown. Of course, Jamal Williams led the league in touchdown rushes last year with 17. He was instead moved to a fullback this year on the Saints and had none. So Jameis Winston decided to have him punch one in. I personally love the move as just kind of an FU to the Falcons because the Falcons suck. And they fired Arthur Smith after this game, which I found hilarious. They, they didn't even wait but 12 hours to say, see you, bye. Desmond Ritter, 291 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He's not terrible. He's not terrible, QB. They, the Falcons just need to work some things out. Bijan, 11 rushes, only 28 yards. Saints defensive line held him in check. It was his seven catches for 103 yards and a touchdown. That really separated him from uh, everyone else on the team. Derek Carr, 264 yards and four touchdowns. Man, I really would have loved to see this team in the playoffs over the Bucks personally. Jamal Williams, 14 rushes for 26 yards and a touchdown. Sheeche, three catches, 65 yards and a touchdown. And A.T. Perry, of his three catches, two of those were touchdowns. How about that? Saints finished nine and eight, four hundred and two points four with this blowout win. Good for them. Getting to four hundred. Five and three at home, four and five on the road, and a uh, two-game win streak, mediocre overall. Actually, what does that make them? Plus seventy nine, plus seventy, plus seventy something for point differential, not too shabby. Falcons finished seven and ten, losing their last two, two and seven on the road. They they were not good on the road. Uh 321 points for 373 points against. Like I said, they were in some close games with the minus 52-point differential. Didn't give up 400 points for, I mean, you know what? It could have been worse for the Falcons. Looks like you're in a rebuild, sadly. I hate to tell you, you're in the midst of a rebuild. And as we swing back over to AFC, another shocking moment in our noon o'clock games as the Jaguars, the Jaguars were supposed to have the easiest division to win. Jaguars were supposed to have the easiest division to win. All right, mind you, the Jaguars started out their season. What was it? One and one, one and two, two and two, three and two, four and two, five and two, six and two. The Jaguars started out six and two before November came. Six and two before November came. They proceeded to end, and I kid you not. So this team was six and two at the end of October, and the Jaguars proceeded to end. If my computer will not freeze, my computer has frozen. I don't even know if I'm speaking right now. There we go. There we go. Pull pull up the Jaguars record. I can only build so much suspense to tell people that the Jaguars started six and two and ended nine and eight. They ended three and six in the final ten weeks of football. Yeah. Pretty atrocious. Plus six points, plus six point differential, but I mean four and five at home, five and three on the road. And they choke against the Titans in their final game twenty eight to twenty with a chance to win the division and go to the playoffs. They will do neither. They will do neither. Evan Ingram, 23 fantasy points, Calvin Ridley 22, Trevor Lawrence, a disappointing 16. Taji Spears, 21.6 for the Titans, Derek Henry, 21.3, and DeAndre Hopkins, 17.6. As the Titans finished 6-11. Bad team. Um, but with a minus 62-point differential, 1-7 on the road. Titans team, you know, somehow managed to win six games. So how about it? Uh close game back and forth was ultimately a uh, DeAndre Hopkins touchdown in the third quarter that separated uh, the score by two touchdowns and with a full quarter to get one to get eight points the Jaguars just could do nothing Trevor Lawrence 280 yards two touchdowns two picks disappointing ETN 57 yards on 16 rushes Calvin Ridley and Evan Ingram the only good parts of this they both had uh, six catches for Ridley, 10 for Ingram, 106 yards for Ridley, 79 for Ingram, and both got a touchdown. They're only good parts about this team. Titans man, Tannehill, 168 yards through for two touchdowns, and of course a pick. What would a Ryan Tannehill game be without a pick? Derrick Henry, 19 rushes for 153 yards and a touchdown. Hopkins, seven catches, 46 yards and a touchdown. Honestly, this Titans offense isn't too shabby. I don't know if Derrick Henry's going to be on their team next year, because Taji Spears looks like he can easily be a starter, but... We'll see what the uh, head office decides to do. They went out with a bang. Um, yeah, and they took the Jaguars with them. Honestly, divisions, kind of a joke. It was, all, it was pretty even. But uh, the Texans came out as supreme, so good stuff to them. Oh, man, now I have to talk about uh, my second favorite game of the week. Yes, as the Packers beat the Bears 17-9. Cairo Santos, 11 fancy points. DJ Moore, 10 fancy points. That's it for the Bears. Uh, D. Wicks twenty four fantasy points. Uh, A. Jones nineteen. J. Love eighteen point five. I don't even want to say their first names, man. Oh my gosh, Dontavian Wicks kind of kind of balled out this game. Two touchdown passes from Jordan Love. Um, not too shabby. Really, the defense just locked the Bears up. And with your job on the line, Justin Fields only throws for one hundred forty eight yards. Only rushes for twenty seven. Packers locked the Bears up. DJ Moore, four catches, 64 yards, is legit the only good point. The good part I can point out about the Bears. Maybe their defense, because they only allowed 17. But I mean, still, still just atrocious play from the Bears. Jordan Love, I mean, I think before the season I said Jordan Love wasn't good. You know what? I'm not, you know what? The Vikings are out of the playoffs. You know, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. Jordan Love's good. Jordan Love's future of the Packers. 316 yards and two touchdowns and it clearly was the season of the love ah I can't believe I said it Aaron Jones 22 rushes for 111 yards he's back to his uh back to his form and uh, on request of a friend um B Melton I actually don't know what what, what his first name is I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you Tyler I know you're listening to this I know you're listening to this I actually don't know is it B Anthony is it Bo Melton? It's Bo Melton. Wow, it is Bo Melton. I'll keep this in the podcast. I won't even edit that out as a bluter. Good for you, Bo Melton. Five catches, 62 yards. Jalen Reed, four catches, 112 yards. And Davian Wick, six catches, sixteen yards, and two touchdowns. Sends the Packers to the playoffs. Nine and eight records. Second in the NFC North. Plus 33-point differential. And decent at home, five and three. And on a three-game win streak, pretty much them and the Vikings flip-flop doing good and bad towards the end. Oh man. They'll play the Cowboys though, which is honestly a favorable matchup for them, I won't lie. Of all the teams they can play, that's probably the best matchup. Um it is in Dallas, which I do worry about for the Packers, but hey, you know what? It's uh it's it's how the cookie crumbles, they say, don't they? I don't know. Bears seven and ten, bottom of the FC North, three hundred and sixty points for hundred and seventy-nine points again. It's only a minus nineteen point differential. Two and seven on the road hurt them though. One of those wins against the Vikings. Um, I don't know if Justin Fields will be a QB. I don't know who they're going to draft with their top picks. But the Bears have some decisions to make. And they have a full summer to make them. Moving on to a crucial win for the Cowboys. As they finish as the only team to score 500 points on the season congratulations Cowboys blow out the commanders to no one's surprise uh 38 to 10 CD Lamb 35.5 fancy points the number one wide receiver in fantasy, C D Lamb Dak Prescott ends with 25 in the Dallas D to no one's surprise 18 best defense in the league mm, at least in the NFC them and the Ravens D that'd be a good defensive matchup Terry McLaurin ends with 11 Bijan 10 Sam Howell 7.42 wow the downfall of Sam Howell's been very unfortunate You know, the game started out actually 10-7 in the second quarter for the Commanders until two touchdowns in the final four minutes from the uh, Cowboys made it 21-10 at halftime. And, yeah, that would be all the scoring the Commanders did. Two more touchdowns from Dak in the third, and a Brandon Aubrey 50-yard field goal in the fourth would close this one out for the Cowboys. And they would win the NFC East with a 12-5 record. Dak Prescott, 279 yards, four touchdowns, did throw one pick. Actually got benched at the end of the game. Cooper Rush came in. Tony Pollard had 70 yards on 17 carries for a touchdown. And C.D. Lamb, 13 receptions, 98 yards, and two touchdowns was exquisite. Even Brandon Cooks got a touchdown, two on one of his six catches. Sam Howell, 153 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. There was a time he was, like, number six or four in fantasy. Those days uh, dwindled very quickly. Um, Brian Robinson, 25 yards on nine carries. Ugh, gross. Just um he caught a touchdown though that's that's all i can really point out for the commanders i mean they did nothing they did nothing and the commanders end as the worst defense they scored 329 points they gave up 518 points and end on a seven i was i stand corrected an eight game losing streak they they possibly possibly might have been worse than the panthers i won't lie they were that was that's atrocious that is atrocious i can't even believe that is a that's a freaking thing well Well, let me do some quick math. That is a minus, uh, almost minus 90. I think it's minus 89 point differential, and I'm just guessing. One in seven at home, by the way. RIP ticket holders. commanders. I don't know what you're going to do in your offseason. Cowboys, though, eight no at home. They'll host the Packers. Damn, this team is very, very good. Plus 190, 90, 90, 90, plus 194 record for them. and on a two-game win streak. Cowboys, I like this Cowboys team in the playoffs, but at the same time, Cowboys historically don't make it to the Super Bowl. Maybe they can change their ways this year. Jumping to the NFC West as the 49ers beat the, uh, oh my gosh, no, I read that wrong. The Rams beat the 49ers. I was about to say, because I predicted the 49ers to win, but I was wrong. I was wrong. It was very sad, okay? Carson Wentz, 26 fantasy points, showed out for the Rams. He can clearly ball when Stafford's not playing. Puka had 14 Sam Darnold, 17 for the 49ers. Elijah Mitchell had 14. Yeah, battle of the, battle of the backups of this game. <laughs> Pretty comical. Um, game started out 21-7 for the uh, 49ers at halftime before two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and a shocking, a shocking two-point attempt with five minutes left to put the Rams up 21-20. to And that's right. Jake Moody missed an extra point to end the second quarter which ended up being the costly factor to this Rams win and when it didn't really matter it actually did this actually gave the Rams the sixth seed instead of the seven and had them facing the Lions instead of the Cowboys very interesting stuff there Carson Wentz 163 yards two touchdowns and a pick and he ran for 56 yards and a touchdown how about that Carson Wentz led the Eagles almost all the way to the Super Bowl in 2018, and now he's playing for the Rams. Uh, who else? Um, yeah, no, Puka Ka touchdown. It had four catches for 41 yards and set the rookie receiving receiving yards thing. Yeah, good for him. That's why I can point there. 49ers, I mean, Sam Darnold had 189 yards in a touchdown. He ran in a touchdown. And Elijah Mitchell ran in a touchdown. I mean, other than that, the backups were in. There's, there's not much to mention. Um, 49ers and 12-5, and 5, 491 points for 298 points again. So that's pretty good if you ask me. 7-2 and two on the road, though. That's very impressive. They will... Um, Will the 49ers be playing? Oh, they have the number one seed bye. My goodness. I, I like how I just say things when I know them. Yeah, 49ers get the bye. Rams will be your sixth seed. And they end up with 404 points, 4, hundred seventy seven points against, four-game win streak to sneak them into the playoffs. Impressive stuff from this Rams team. Good job to the Rams. And best of luck to Matthew Stafford as he hits the Ford field to take on his old alma mater. Ooh, I like using that word, alma mater. The old alma mater of the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford. Um, wow, I can't believe this actually happened. The Eagles lose to the Giants 27-10 to with their starters playing. Oh my goodness, absolutely insane. Quez Watkins, the only good thing about the Eagles, as he had 23 fantasy points. Saquon had 23 for the Giants, Giants D with 18, and Tyrod Taylor 17.68. Um, I mean, this game started off terrible at halftime. It was 24-0. At halftime, it was 24-0. Jake Elliott hit a third-quarter field goal for the Eagles and a touchdown from Marcus Mariota to Quez Watkins in the fourth is what ended up giving the Eagles 10 points. But yeah, you heard that right. Jalen Hurts got benched. 7 of 16 for 55 yards. He rushed twice for 4 yards, was actually trying, and lost. He sucked. Mariota came in, threw for 148 yards, touchdown, on pick. I mean, Quez Watkins, 8 catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown is the only notability that I will give to the to this team, just ri- ridiculous. Tyrod Taylor, two hundred ninety-seven yards, a touchdown. I pick not too shabby. Saquon had forty-six yards rushing for two touchdowns, and Demarcus Robinson, not Demarcus Robinson, Wayne Wayndale, Dale Wydell, whatever Robinson, five catches, eighty-five yards. Actually, I'm in in fantasy, got like thirteen point five points. Oh well, you know what. Giants, 6-11, and 11, kind of ended worse, you know. 2-7 and seven on the road's not good at all, 266 points for this big game actually kept you out of being the worst offense. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with the QB situation. You know, Daniel Jones, Tyrod Taylor, Tommy DeVito, I don't know what they're going to do. But, um, yeah, Eagles are the real main story out of this. 11-6, they started 10-1 and one and end 1-5 and five in their final six weeks. Unreal. Only a plus... Five point differential. Wow, six and two at home, five and four on the road. They end on a two game losing streak, Whew, and they they take no momentum into their Buccaneers game. Okay, they take no momentum visiting the Bucks, and you know the Bucks don't really have much momentum either. But it's like the Eagles are taking a negative momentum when the Bucks just don't really have any. So we'll see what happens when I drop my predictions Thursday. But ugh, growth gross ending to the season for the Eagles. My goodness. Um, in a game that was really pointless. Like I'm, um, I i do not know if there if anything mattered in this game, but the uh, Raiders beat the Broncos twenty-seven to fourteen. How about that? J- Javante Williams twenty fantasy points. Jerry Judy sixteen point nine. Jeff Stidham thirteen point eight. Jacoby Myers had twenty-one. Aiden O'Connell seventeen, and Devontae Adams fifteen point six. Somewhat competitive. I mean it was what was it? Seventeen to seven at half for the Raiders. Um, then it was twenty four to seven, then it was twenty four to fourteen, then Carlson had a field goal, Raiders just kind of stayed on their stayed on their feet the whole time, kept a little lead. Stidham, and after Russell Wilson was benched threw for two hundred and seventy two yards, touchdown at pick. Javante Williams rushed for a touchdown. Uh yeah, and Jerry Dewey had three catches for seventy nine yards at a touchdown. How much went on in this game. A.N. O'Connell, 244 yards and two touchdowns. Zaheer White ran 25 times for 112 yards. He's an amazing backup behind Josh Jacobs. Absolutely amazing. Um, Jacoby Myers caught a touchdown, and so did Devontae Adams. Now, there's not much to say. Nothing really mattered. Two mediocre teams. Um, Raiders and Broncos both end 8-9. Uh, both had uh, Actually, Raiders end with a plus-one point differential. That's pretty funny. 2-6 on the road for the Raiders is their biggest downfall. And Broncos... You'll be remembered for giving up 70 points to the Dolphins. Yeah, Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. How'd that turn out? Final 330 game of the week, I believe. I believe, I believe. If I want to check my week 18 standings, I'll shout out to uh, my mom and my girlfriend. They won the pick 'em. Oh, wait, there's two more games. Three more games we have to talk about. They won the pick 'em for the week. My dad won the season long total uh, with 176 correct picks. Um, But we do still have the playoffs where uh, I could maybe take over. Um, Seahawks and Cardinals. Seahawks win twenty-one to twenty. Man, literally everything the Vikings needed to happen did not happen. They didn't win. The Packers didn't lose. The Bucks and Saints didn't lose, and the Seahawks did not lose. Atrocious. Seahawks win twenty-one to twenty. Geno had twenty fantasy points. Tyler Lockett seventeen. James Conner had thirty for the Cardinals. How about that, Kyler Murray? 17.78. 17.78. Um, this game just looks like it was competitive from the get-go. At halftime, it was 13-6 to for the Seahawks. Then James Conner hit a touchdown, making it 13-14 in the third. Um, it was then 20-13. to Entire Tyrell Lockett caught touchdown with under two minutes left. And then caught an extra point. A two-point conversion, I should say. Geno, 189 yards and two touchdowns. Probably keeping his job, but I mean, I kind of want to see Drew Locke play a little bit. Kenneth Walker rushed for 78 yards. Uh, Will Disley, three catches for 46 yards and a touchdown. Actually had the most catches on the team. Tyler Lockett, though, two catches, 71 yards and a touchdown. I'm pretty sure got a bonus for reaching a certain number of yardage. Kyler Murray, 262 yards and a touchdown, but it's James Conner. 27 rushes for 150 yards and a touchdown. The running backs were running this week. Trey McBride caught the only passing touchdown from Kyler Murray. Cardinals, 4-13, one of the worst teams in the league. Might get Marvin Harrison next year in the draft. We'll see what they choose to do. Um, They do end with a minus-125-point differential. Not shabby at all. Uh, One of the worst defenses in the league. Gave up 455 points. 2-6 at home, 2-7 on the road. They were bad wherever they traveled. Seahawks, 9-8. Gave up 402 points, scored 364. Average at home, not so good on the road. I mean, I don't, I don't know, just you missed the playoffs, you know. It was almost worse than the Vikings. You know, the Vikings, like, we need a lot of scenarios to happen. Seahawks just needed the Packers to lose and couldn't even get that. Who knows? Pete Carroll, I'm sure they'll keep him, but his time there's probably Limited. Just like Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. No one gets that. Russell Wilson posted a weird video of him online going that he has an alternate personality called Mr. Unlimited. Someone needs to check if he was on the Epstein flight logs. Heading into our final, our actual final three thirty game of the day, the Chiefs beat the Chargers thirteen to twelve. God damn it, damn it! Literally, I suck at making picks. I tried to get all ballsy this week and go surgical, and I got none of my picks right. But we'll be back for the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. I can trust you that. Chiefs win thirteen to twelve. Um, I mean, honestly, they the best. Fancy performance was Easton Stick, backup QB for the Chargers, with sixteen. That was that was the best performance. It was a game of field goals with only one touchdown. A 97-yard fumble recovery from Mike Edwards of the Chiefs in the first quarter. Other than that, a boring game. Blaine Gabbert, 154 yards and a pick. I could have told you that guy was going to do nothing. Um, Yeah, McCole Hardman had six catches for 77 yards. That's it. Nothing happened. A lot of the starters were being rested. And even with that, they couldn't beat, uh, the Chargers couldn't beat them. They were playing their normal team and couldn't beat the Chiefs' backups. Easton Stick throws for 258 yards, rushes for 77. Donald Parham Jr., tight end for the Chargers, five catches for 83 yards was the best wide receiver on the day. Chiefs end 11 and 6 on a little 2 game win streak, 6 and 2 on the road this year. Not too bad. 5 and 4 at home. Taylor Swift, will you be in attendance for the Chiefs game against the Dolphins? If so, I'll be picking the Dolphins. Um, Chiefs almost get the plus 100 point differential, 371 points for 294 against. Patrick Mahomes just as good as always. Isaiah Pacheco breakout season. Travis Kelsey, um, pretty bad season. Defense was very good this year. Um, and I will, I will say my one note will be that the uh, Rasheed Rice had a breakout year. Uh, number four wide receiver for the Chiefs. Excited to see what he brings to the table next season and in the playoffs. It's not even the next season for this team. Final game of the season. Um Bills and Dolphins for the NFC East Championship and AFC East Championship, I stand corrected. And man, I can't believe it. The Bills win 21-14 to close out the regular season. Dolphins falloff has been wild. Josh Allen, 23 fantasy points, win it mattered. Kay Shakir, 16.5, Stephon Diggs, 15.7. Terry Kenneth, 21. Point fancy bomb and a chane at thirteen point one. I mean, game started off no scoring in the first quarter. Two touchdowns from the Dolphins in the second quarter would bring us fourteen to seven head into half. Little did we know, that would be the only scoring from the Dolphins, as it would be two touchdowns from the Bills, including a Dante Hardy 96-yard punt return, which would tie up the game before, with seven minutes left, a Dawson-Knox touchdown pass from Josh Allen. Josh Allen threw for 359 yards, two touchdowns, including two first-quarter picks. Wild. Ran for 67 yards. Was kind of doing it all. Um, Shearfield got a touchdown. Knox got a Touchdown. Uh, Stephon Diggs and Dalton Kincaid both had seven catches, but it was Shakir with 105 receiving yards that led the day. Two throws for 173 yards of touchdown and two picks did not look his usual self. Achane ran for 56 yards and a touchdown. Terry kills seven catches, 80 yards and touchdown. Remember when he was less than 500 away from a thousand, from a 2,000-yard season? That never happened. Wow. Rough ending to the year for the Dolphins. Just ooh. Very nasty. Just a very nasty ending of the year to the Dolphins. 11-6, and six, second in the AFC East. They'll fall to the 60. There's a time that people are considering them the best team in the AFC. 496 points for, though, an amazing offense nonetheless, plus 105 um, point for on the year. 7-2 at home. Very impressive. Do end on a two-game losing streak, though. That will put a damper on the season. Bills. Okay, we're at one point. Six and six. All right. They end the year 11 and six, a five game winning streak to end the season, plus 140 point differential, seven into at home. This team turned up when it mattered. Just amazing stuff from the Bills. That's all I can say. And as for both these teams, I'm just saying it really matters what you carry into the, the playoffs because the Dolphins will be visiting the Chiefs with no momentum and the Bills will be hosting the Steelers with all the momentum in the world. So It'll be interesting to see how these play teams perform in the playoffs, but Bills own the Dolphins. That's all I need to know. So in recap of the regular season, um, so the best offense uh, for points four in the league went to the Cowboys with 509 points for best defense in the league. Let's take a look. 49ers only allowed 298 points. All year they may. Oh, the Chiefs only allowed 294, but it actually goes to the Ravens who only allowed 280 points and with their plus 203 point differential end up being the best overall team in the league. And that makes sense as they had the best record with 13 and 4. So it's interesting, interesting to see what uh how these teams perform in the playoffs, but man, we have gone from uh 32 potential teams. Being able to win the Super Bowl to 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. Oh my gosh, half the playing field knocked out. So here will be your wild card schedule. We're going to talk about this on Thursday's episode, um, including on Thursday's episode, a preview of UFC Vegas 84. A complete review of the fantasy football 23-24 uh, to 24 season and all sorts of fun stuff. That's just a little uh, preview of what's to come. But um, to round out this uh, episode, let me just tell you the games. Browns will be visiting the Texans at the three thirty game on NBC on Saturday. The uh, what what day? Saturday, the thirteenth. Um, early prediction before I go in depth. Probably going with the Browns. Dolphins will visit the Chiefs at seven o'clock on Peacock on Saturday. Probably going with the Chiefs on Sunday at noon. Steelers will visit the Bills on CBS. Probably going with the Bills for 3- three thirty Central Time. Four thirty Eastern. Packers will visit the Cowboys on Fox. You already know I'm going with the Cowboys. I'll, I'm, I'll, you know, I was about to say the F word to the Packers. But you know what? guess what? I'll hold my tongue. Rams visit the Lions in our night game on NBC Sunday night. And uh, definitely going with the, ooh, I'm torn with that one. I might go Rams. I might go Rams just to do it. And we actually get a Monday night spectacle. As the Eagles visit the Buccaneers on ABC slash ESPN at seven o'clock. I don't know who I'm gonna pick in that one. Maybe the Bucs, honestly. Maybe the Bucks. But yeah, it was it was a fun season. There were some highs. There were some lows. I'll be interested to see how it all plays out. But um, that's all we got. For this episode, the national championship game between Michigan and Washington has kicked off as I um, am recording this. It started at 630. I have no, nowhere near a screen, so I have no idea what the score is, but I am going to predict Michigan wins. By what? I can't say. I'm going to say this is in the 40s. That seems to be what national championship games are in, so we'll say Michigan 48, uh, Washington 44, just to do it. But uh, hey, if that comes true, that'd be very Cool, but um, ladies and gentlemen, I will catch you guys next time on the Surprise Chat Podcast. It's going to be a fun one coming up. We've got lots of fun stuff planned, uh, potential guests, potential new segments, all sorts of fun stuff. Guys, I will see you next time.